Okay, we're going to run through a lot of scriptures today, so you have your Bibles, right? Because I, I would like to just have you guys read these scriptures. I don't want to be the one reading them all. And so, uh, be ready. And if you don't like to read, and I call on you, just kind of shake your head like this at me, okay? I totally understand that it, it might not be something you want to do, and that's okay. But, but I'll just call on you because I don't want to just ask for hands because what happens is, you know, the two people who love to read just do all the reading. And I, I really would like to hear uh, anybody that, would, that wouldn't mind reading scriptures. So um, let's start off with John 1.1 and uh, Revelation 19 and 2 Timothy 3. So it's not, right. So a lot of this, that's why hopefully there's space in your margins, and if you brought a, a notebook, uh, you can write these references down. Would you say them again? John 1, 1, Revelation 19, verses 11 through 13, and 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. I want to talk about, just to talk about the word. So if somebody's got John 1, 1, go ahead and read that. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was, in, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was, was not anything made that was made. Okay, that's good. Uh, and skip down, I think, is it verse 14? And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we be, have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Okay, so what this passage is, is clearly telling us is that Jesus Christ, right, is the Word. Okay, Revelation 19, 11 through 13. Somebody got that? Okay. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True, with justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. Okay, again, a description of Jesus, actually, the future Jesus who is coming. And what's his name? The Word. The Word. Word of God. All right, 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. All scriptures inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So everyone that who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. Okay, so there's also the word, right? That that, that verse is talking about is this word, right? The scriptures that have been given to us that, that we're to use in order to navigate life. So we're talking about two kinds of word, the living word and the written word. And essentially the devotional life is is understanding both. See, I grew up understanding that there was only one word of God, and it was the written word. And so if I wanted to draw close to God... If I wanted to understand what he had to say to me, if I wanted to know truth, then I needed to 
you know, dive into this book and, and study it and understand it, read it. And so that was my total understanding of what the Word of God was. Now, that's all true. But what I didn't understand is the living Word. There is the Word of God that is living and breathing and speaking and interacting with us. And it's beyond this. Now, this is where some people get a little nervous <laughs> because a lot of us have been taught that anything beyond this is heresy. But this is what tells us about this. Right? We just read it. Jesus is the Word. So, if He's the Word, then He has things to say. And how many of y'all believe that Jesus is, is alive and, and in heaven and, and active today, right? He's, right. he's not hanging on the, on the cross still. He's not in the tomb. He's resurrected. He's alive. He's active. And He is the Word. So there is the living word and the written word, and and the joy of this adventure towards God is understanding how to, to operate in both, how to draw meaning and answers from the written word and order our lives in accordance with the written word, and also how to understand how the living word is interacting with us, how we can have communion with the living word. Okay? Does it make sense? Um, there's this journey for me began back in the in the nineties and well, late eighties. And I've read books and a lot of what I'm going to talk about today I want to give credit. And I'm gonna list a lot of books. These are also not in your handout, so if you want to titles, uh, you can jot them down. But these are books I'd highly recommend in the journey of the devotional life. First is The Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. Um, and he also has another book called, called Prayer, Finding the Heart's True Home, which I think is excellent on God, on a prayer. So Richard Foster. And then Desiring God. Some of you know Piper and his book, Desiring God. i got two versions of it here. This is actually a later, later one. Um, and then one you may not have heard about is by a fellow by the name of George Otis, Jr., and it's called God's Trademarks. It's a really excellent little book. Um, and then J.I. Packer, if you don't have this one, you really need to get it to Knowing God by J.I. Packer. So don't get them confused. Piper's is Desiring God, and Packer's is Knowing God. They're both excellent. And George Otis, who had the last? George Otis, Jr., Jr. and it's called God's Trademarks. And then if you haven't read Dallas Willard, Dallas Willard is really good, too. And he's got a couple of them, The Spirit of the Disciplines, and then also Hearing God, Developing a Conversational Relationship with God. Sorry, I'm late. Can I still come? Sure. We're just going to start. What was the last one? Hearing God, Developing a Conversational Relationship with God, also by Dallas Willard. You could just say Hearing God. I think you could find it that way. So, The Spirit of the Disciplines and Hearing God. But my journey began back in the late 80s with a desire to, just like what you all, you all have said this morning, my, my, I grew up as a believer. I, I trusted Christ when I was like five years old. I, I haven't really known life without knowing that, that Christ died for me and that I belong to Him and I was trusting in Him for my salvation. 
but as a young adult, realizing that there must be more to 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 the Christian life than, than what I was currently experiencing and, and understanding, and there was a hunger, you know, just inside me. Um, and I told a little of my story in a message like a year and a half ago, so I'm sorry. To re- I'll, I'll try to do the short version of this for those of you that are feeling checking out and going out. Ah, <laughs> but I'll, I'll give you the short version. In in the late '80s, my wife and I uh, began attending Grace because partly because of that we we had heard about this small group of believers that really was passionate to have an authentic, meaningful, deep <coughs> relationship with God, and so we started attending Grace and. And that hunger really grew in me, and I learned so much from moving into a completely different sort of worship and church experience than what I was used to. Uh, And through that process, really began to understand that God wanted to speak to me, that there was a living word that wanted a relationship with me, and that I could hear the voice of God. And so began to just seek God about that, had no idea how that really worked, you know, it was it was just something I wasn't taught. Didn't grow up in an environment where that was the norm, where you were supposed to hear from God. In fact, people who said they heard from God were kind of like, you know, the antennas went up like, careful, <laughs> no matter no, what you know, don't know what they're going to say. But uh, so I began to to just seek after this personal intimacy conversational relationship with God and, and that progressed in uh, in the ni- early 90s I began to feel like God was I was really hearing God's voice and uh, he said something to me that was that I had to deal with and that was he wanted me to quit my job so uh, I wrestled with that for a long time uh, because I was you know you just you, you say to yourself well Maybe I'm just dissatisfied at work, so I'm kind of making things up. And you know, you go through all those things. Is this really God speaking to me? But it, it, all I can say is that it just kept coming back into my spirit that I needed to to quit my job, don't look for another, and seek Him, seek God. Felt like there, those were the three things God was telling me. So I finally broke the news to my wife, and uh, she was like, "Are you sure?" <laughs> you know. Is that really God saying that to you? He hasn't said that to me. <laughs> uh, so it was a, a walk of faith for her as well to trust, you know, that I was really hearing what what God was saying. So I went into my boss and, and told him I was leaving, and uh, he was not a believer. He knew I was, uh, and so he said, "Well, will you stay on until we train somebody?" So I said, "Okay," and um, so that happened. That was like in November. We got somebody trained by January, February. In January, I guess it was the end of January of, of 93, um, it was my last week at work. I was finishing training my replacement, and um, my dad called and said, you know, my mom had had Alzheimer's for many years, and uh, he said, well, she's had a series of small strokes. It looks like she's going downhill. I really think if you don't come now, you're, you're probably not going to have any time with her before she dies. And that it was just like, hey, this is this is exactly why God 
was telling me what I what I was hearing from him that now I was free to just go to Florida which is where my parents live and spend unlimited amount of time that I could until my mom passed away and that's what we did we just packed the kids up and uh, drove to Florida uh, because that was my last week of work and so uh, my mom passed away in, in March came back to Texas and held on to the truths of what I believe God had said to me quit your job don't look for work, seek my face. So I had a block of time now that I could just really devote to the written word and the living word. So I, my days consisted of uh, getting on my knees, opening his word, reading, meditating, figuring out what that meant, uh, praying, listening, seeking God, and also helping Pamela with schoolwork. <laughs> she was homeschooling kids, so... Uh, I was home, but I had large blocks of time where I could do that, and uh, it was the best time of my life uh, because I began to understand more and more what this meant to be able to hear the voice of my shepherd. And uh, so, what happened though is that after a while, you know, there uh, you you're learning, you're growing. But you're also weak, and you're wondering, you know, what am I going to do next? And as a man who's supposed to provide for your family, this is a natural thing that we that we have in us, right? Is I'm supposed to work and provide for my family. And so I started to wrestle with, okay, Lord, how long is this process supposed to take? There's, there's another long story about how the Lord supplied for our needs, but I was seeing the bank account going down, right, and realizing... Okay, at some point, money's going to have to come in. <laughs> How's that going to happen? So I began to wrestle with that, and, and I, I liken it to kind of like Peter stepping out of the boat, you know, walking on the water when he had his eyes on the Lord, and he was full of faith, and he heard the Lord, Lord's voice, you know, come, come to me, Peter. He was fine. He was walking on the water, but then when he started looking at the waves around him, he he started to sink, and that's exactly what happened to me. I, I started to sink as I looked around me, looked at the bank account, looked at you know how how things were going to be in the future, and wondered you know what I was supposed to do. Um, and so I started looking for work. I got my resume out, started sending it out, and, and all this. So, um, so then one Sunday, uh, it was actually I think in July of that year. Um, I came to Grace. We, we came to church, and Gary preached a message, and it was very convicting. And it just the Holy Spirit used it to just nail me. And I, I can't even tell you what the subject of the message was, except that it convicted me greatly that I had sinned. And I went home and confessed my sin to the Lord. You know, Lord, you told me, quit my job, don't look for work, seek my face, and I I have disobeyed you because I've been looking for work. And so I confessed that and uh, talked to Pamela about it and took all of my papers that I had been working on to try to find work and just bundled them up and threw them in a drawer and went back to the bedroom, got out my Bible, and started to seek the Lord. And uh, the next day, that was Sunday, so the next day I got a call from one of these companies that I had contacted and was in the process of trying to get, get a job with. And they said, well, we'd like to do an interview with you. Uh, so I went to, on an interview with them, I think, on Wednesday. 
uh, it went quite well, and they said, we want to talk to you and your wife Thursday because she needs to be on board too because you'll be traveling some at the beginning. And so we went to the second interview together on Thursday. And, of course, in my mind, I'm thinking, well, this could be the way the Lord is, is answering. You know, he's going to show me, oh, I forgot to tell you, that Sunday when I confessed my sin, the Lord spoke to me again, and I had an encounter with the living word. And he said to me, by the end of the week, I'm going to show you what I have for you. So I came out of the bedroom and said to Pamela, guess what? The Lord has just said, by the end of the week, he's going to show me what he has for me. Oh, okay. So then when I get the call the next day, I'm thinking, this could be it, right? So we go to the interviews. We come back on Thursday from the interview, and we were both talking and said, well, how do we really know if this is really what, what the Lord has for us? So we decided to just spend the night in prayer separately and then compare notes in the morning. So we did that. In the morning, we got back together and said, what do you feel like the Lord said to you? I don't have any peace about you taking this job. I, did, I don't think this is, this is what she said. And I said, I have the same thing. I just I don't believe there has been no confirmation in my spirit through, through all this time of prayer that this is what I'm supposed to do. So I called him up, turned down the, the offer and went back to the bedroom and started seeking the Lord. So that was Friday. And then Saturday, uh, Gary called me from Grace and said, uh, you know, the elders would like to to hire you as the full-time missions pastor at Grace. Would you be interested in taking that position? And I said, well, Gary, interesting. You called me today. (laughs) He knew nothing about this. That Sunday was the Sunday he had preached the message and I had repented, but I hadn't said anything to Gary. Now, Gary knew I was out of work. Gary knew I was in the season of seeking God, but he didn't know anything about the, the, the revelation that God had given me on Sunday that by the end of the week, he would show me what he had for me. So, uh, yeah, so anyway, that's, that's how I came, came on staff as a missions pastor, and it's, it's been a great encouragement to us because, you know, I wasn't sure. And even when I messed up, God was still faithful, right? Just because I messed up doesn't mean that God was done with me and he wasn't going to speak to me anymore and you know, no. He did. And uh, just it blows me away that this is the kind of God we we serve, that we love, that that we know, that that wants to interact with us, that wants to commune with us. So and by the way, when I started, that was in July. I didn't start with Grace until September. I started on Labor Day weekend. And uh, the finances that God had provided ran out that the end of August. So God gave us just enough to make it for the amount of time that he knew that, that I wouldn't be working. So, Dom, yes. I'm curious, what field were you in professionally before? I was a, an engineer, a service engineer with a helicopter company. Oh. So maintenance, aviation, helicopters. And so. an engineer's mind is quite different from the rest of us. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> very, very, I'm married to one, very. Yes. Right, everything has to be. Exactly. Yeah. He has to work with a lot of provable. They're different. Right. different. Not a whole lot of this kind of, you know, hearing God speak. So, yeah. Um, so why is it, though, that, that Christian, Christians, for the most part, don't seem to to walk in a deeper, more solid, mature relationship with God. I'm convinced that, that the majority of Christianity is, is superficial. In fact, that's why I started off with this quote 
from Richard Foster's Superficiality is the Curse of Our Age. And I, and I think, sadly, that for many Christians, their Christianity is somewhat superficial. Do uh, you guys remember what happened in Rwanda in 1993? Yes. The slaughter that took place? you know that those were Christians that were killing each other, the Hutus and the Tutsis? you guys remember what happened in North Africa in the first century? Well, of course, we can't remember that one, right? Like 93. But what happened is Christianity was covered all of North Africa, if you can believe it. And when Islam came through, Christianity just folded, and Islam rooted itself in North Africa. Why did Christianity just go away so quickly in North Africa? Because it was a mile wide and a thin deep, you know, an inch deep. It was superficial. There wasn't any real depth to it. So when trouble came, you know, it folded. Same thing happened in Kenya in 2007. I think the same thing is happening in America. Christianity and and the influence it can have in a culture is fading fast because I believe a lot of Christianity in believers and in the church even is superficial. Um, And so the, the purpose of this class is to help us deepen our our walk with the Lord so that when trouble does come we don't fold uh, there's there's a root system there's a depth to our our belief and to our uh, and to our knowing what our relationship with God is all about so how does that happen how do we do that well let's talk about what is the devotional life for the disciple of Christ the devotional life is the constant pursuit of God, the hunger for more of Him, expressing itself in regular times of solitary seeking, finding, and deepening of the intimate relationship between the disciple and his or her Father God. So it's it's the way that we put ourselves before God, we place ourselves before Him so that we can know Him and He can transform us. So these are the two purposes of, of the devotional life, is to know God and then to be transformed. So we know Him, and He transforms us. This, this is the essence of the devotional life. It's, it's not about some sort of you know, happy feeling. It's not about having some sort of ecstatic, you know, trance-like encounter with God I mean God may give you some very amazing weird and wonderful experiences in your pursuit of him okay but but that's not our goal our goal isn't a feeling our goal is to know him to walk closer with him to hear his voice why so that we can be transformed so that we can be changed all right let's let's read through these passages. First of all, knowing Him. John 17, 3, 1. Let's see, just look up. Let's just read John 17, Jeremiah 9, Galatians 4, and Matthew 7. Let's read those four. John 17, 3. Yes. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Okay. You guys probably have heard this verse before, but but does it sunk in what it's really saying? 
What is eternal life? Christopher, say it again. Uh, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have seen. Right. So knowing God is eternal life. Okay. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. Okay. So it's pretty clear what's important to God, right? Not the external, but the internal. Okay, uh, Hosea 6.6. 6. I don't have this on there, so you can jot it down and look it up. Hosea chapter 6, actually verse 3, says, Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. And then verse 6 says, and this is God speaking, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. So, so this isn't just a New Testament thing, kind of a new covenant thing that came with Christ. No, th- this is all throughout the Old Testament. <laughs> In the sacrificial system that the, that the Israelites practiced, God was really trying to get them to understand that it wasn't the sacrifices that He was desiring; it was their affection, their love, and their re- and intimacy, relationship with Him, knowing Him. Okay, Galatians. Hosea what? I'm sorry. It's not Hosea right 6, chapter 6, verse 6. Somebody got uh, Galatians chapter 4? I do. <clears throat> but now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, and can you, t- how can you turn your back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? Whose slaves do you want to be once? You want to be once more. Okay. This verse, this verse is one of the verses that struck me back when I was in this journey of reading God's Word and seeking Him and trying to understand what it meant to walk in close personal relationship with God. Because I didn't ever notice before that it says, or rather to be known by God. Okay, notice it says, but now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back? Okay, so Paul's writing the book of Galatians to a church, to believers who are starting to drift back to Judaism, to thinking, well, we've got to start following some of the practices of the law if we really want want to be accepted by God. And he's saying, wait, no, 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 you're missing the point. And, And so he says, but... Now that you've come to know God, or rather to be known by God, do you see how he's equating the two? He's saying that to know God means to be known by God. Okay, now you might be thinking, oh, well, what's so, what's so in- inspiring about that? Because God doesn't, you know, God is all knowing, He knows me. But this is different. This is something different than just God's sovereignty. This, this is saying that. To know God means to open yourself up to God to be known by Him. It means no hiding. 
Okay, it means no putting on fronts. It means being completely open to God to be known by Him. See, the problem is a lot of times we, we think of this whole thing of knowing God as, as kind of a project, as a goal, as something that, that we are going to now do. And in, intellectually, we plan it out, we strategize, I'm going to study about God, I'm going to read these books, even the books I've told you about, right? You're checking them on your list, I'm going to read these books about God. I'm going to listen to so-and-so teach about this. And so we almost adopt this idea that we're going to figure out God, study Him, learn Him. It's all, you know, this way. And we miss the whole idea of a relationship. So you guys, many of you in this room are probably married or have been married, right? And you know that marriage is all about not just taking your spouse on as a project and trying to understand them and figure them out. It's, it's communion back and forth. It's being known by them. And that's what Paul's getting at here. He says, now that you've come to know God, or rather to be known by Him, in other words, you've, you've opened yourself up to Him to be known by God. How can you now be going back? Yeah. This is, I mean, so true on that level of when we're in our darkest places, our darkest hour, when we cling to him even more than our normal, I think that's, mm-hmm. I mean, that makes such perfect sense. Because I mean, I'm thinking about 2012 for the Robinson family, it was a really rough time, but in our lowest, weakest places, we were so open to the Lord and just because there was nowhere else to be, just really just opening our hearts and just pouring it all out, and we felt that closeness to him and so when I say that we're like this is devotional life in our weakest darkest places we feel him the most and right. because of that right. total transparency right and this is exactly why God allows in many in many cases allows trials in our life because he wants us to to reach that place where where we're more than just coming to him to, to try to understand him, figure him out, but we're coming to him because we gotta, we gotta, we gotta have him help us. We're opening ourselves up to him and saying, "God, if you don't come through," and and he loves that. He loves to see us desperately crying out to him, you know, out of out of desperation because it builds that relationship between us. So it's. I'm not trying to say that every trial that comes into your life is God doing this to you, but God allows these trials, even ones that we create, right? That He He tried to get us to avoid, and we still <laughs> created them. He'll He says, "Okay, I'm going to turn it around for good. You're You're going to get to know me at a deeper level through this trial than than you ever did before. So good is going to come out of this trial. And so there's a whole lot more to being known by God." in this whole relationship of coming to know God, okay? Please, please, you know, think about that. How are you opening yourself up to God? Are you even opening yourself up to God? He, he does know everything, by the way. It's not as if you can't hide stuff. But it is a relationship. And if we don't commune with Him in that openness, okay, God, here's how... You, you know this about me, but can I just talk about it for a minute? <laughs> This is the way I am. Can we talk about it? I, I lose my temper every day. You know, I, I, I have a hard time 
controlling my anger. God, I, I hate that about myself, but I can't seem to deal with it. You know it about me. What is it that I'm missing? You know, that, those kinds of conversations. Um, so, by the way, you know, the, the tendency that we have is to hide from God, right? What was it that Adam did as soon as he sinned? Mm-hmm. Which was a way of hiding. And he also physically hid, didn't he? Mm-hmm. He hid. He, I don't know how. I mean, where, where did he think he could... I don't know if he dug a hole in the ground or went behind a tree. Or, but, I mean, he physically... They hid from God in the garden. And that is has tainted... You know, humanity ever since fallen humanity is hiding from God. Our tendency is to 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 hide because we're ashamed of what we've done. We know it's it doesn't measure up to His righteousness. We we think He's mad at us. Okay, we think He's He's going to spank us or something. Um, so we hide. And so that's what a lot of more believers that get their heart hardened. Fall into like mm-hmm. people denying the Lord because they're hiding. Sure, okay. that's the ultimate form of hiding. Yeah, just deny that he even exists. Am <laughs> <Is> that right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, inside every person there is eternity. Right. Scripture says we have, we have eternity in our hearts, which means there is a divineness to us. Right, we're made in God's image. That's what sets us apart. We have a spirit which which is made in the image of God. So there is undeniably in every human being an understanding of the divine, that there is the divine. So that is really the ultimate running from God and hiding from God is just to just to say, well, he doesn't it doesn't even exist. So um, I encourage you to to really look for ways in which you may be thinking of this as kind of a project and something you're going to pursue, and it's all one way. I'm going to know you, God. I'm going to know you, God. No, it's also all about being known by Him. Okay, that was a lot on Galatians 4. Who's got the Matthew 7 passage? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, I will enter the kingdom uh, of heaven. I will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Yes. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, we did not prophesy we did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. This is a very sobering verse, right? It's very scary. <laughs> this verse we should read this verse like once a month. <laughs> just to shake us up a bit right this is a very sobering verse there are people who are going to stand before God on judgment day and think they're going into heaven and be told no and what's the criteria okay. read, read verse 23 again it says uh, then I will tell them plainly I never knew you away from me you evil doers now did God know them yeah. Did God know who they were? Yeah. Did God create them? Did yeah. you know everything about them? Of course he knew them. So what, that's not what he's saying here, right? So what is he saying by, I never knew you? You had to do your homework. Right. He didn't know them in that relational, communal, father's, child, you know, 
Yeah, it's not the same. Are you trying to interrupt my class? Jerry Brown's told us we can come in and get coffee. Oh, okay. Keep him in line. Can we come get coffee? Why did I say that? He announced it and said we could come. Okay, go ahead. No problem. So God is saying, and we're going to break in in, at ten o'clock. Okay, so um, God is saying. That is the criteria for being accepted, you know, into into the kingdom of God, is that he knows us. So it's not just somebody who, who, who says, well, I went forward, you know. I went forward at that summer church camp because I was scared about hell, you know. <laughs> they scared me to the front. <laughs> but then I just kind of figured, well, I got my life insurance, you know, and so now I can live my life. That's Those those folks, some of those are going to be standing on that day hearing those words. And other people who, who even it says, you know, we prophesied, we did these things in the, in your name. I mean, these are folks who, who looked religious, who looked like they were doing all the right things, right? But they didn't have a relationship with God. They didn't know Him. He didn't know them. So when it says that you didn't obey my father, that that's part of that whole knowing him. Yes. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about that actually because there is a there is a link. I'll write it later. There's a link between <clears throat> faith, love, and obedience. True faith, true love, and true obedience cannot exist without all of them in unison, in unity. True faith has to, to have love and obedience. True faith, true love is demonstrated through faith and obedience. True obedience, the obedience God talks about when he says obey me, has to be motivated by love and from faith. Okay? I believe it's the three strands of salvation that work together. Unfortunately in Western culture we have we have taken one strand and made it the strand, faith, right? Just believe. Believe Believe the sentence. Believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins. You know, believe it. Okay, I believe it. It's in my head. I Okay, I believe it. I give it mental assent to it. But we have no concept of, of what love and obedience have to do with salvation. And if you study scripture, salvation is the three-stranded cord of faith, love, and obedience. Anyway, that's we'll talk about this a little bit later. Okay, John 4.24, I, also, I don't have this on there, so you might want to jot it down. Uh, John 4.24 says, God, this is, this, this is the passage where Jesus is encountering the woman at the well, right? He's, he's in Samaria, he's, he's going through Samaria, which disciples weren't happy about because you were supposed to avoid Samaritans. And here's Jesus going, you know, through Samaria, and he stops at the well, and this woman, he asks this woman for, to get him a drink. And she starts to have an encounter conversation with them. It's 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 a fantastic chapter, by the way. If you guys want to start a study, uh, read John chapter four. So she's wanting to. She understands that this is a very special person here, and she grows in her understanding of who he is, uh, step by step. And so she asked about worshiping. Because that, that was one of the things that separated the Samaritans from the Jews is how, what they believed about how to worship God. 
And so she's asking him questions about worship, and he's answering them. And he says in verse um, 20, let's say verse 23, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Okay, so this is another verse that you just kind of hear a lot, right? If you grow up in the church, but it doesn't impact you. And this verse just shook me to the core when I started to really understand what what he's getting at here. We're made in the image of God, right? It's, it's our spirit man is what separates us. We're not made in the image of God with what you see here. We're made in the image of God by our spirit. And that's what Jesus is getting at. God is spirit. And if we're going to worship God, we have to do it spirit to spirit. True worship of God. And I would include in worship intimacy, conversational relationship with God happens spirit to spirit. I'm a little book here in God's trademarks. George Otis says it this way. An intimate personal relationship, if we are to grant these words their due, can be experienced only like with like. This is why we will never see a human being experiencing fellowship with a water buffalo. Okay? Right? You and your pet water buffalo, you're just not going to have that kind of, you know, communion relationship. If we fail to take advantage of the unique spirit-to-spirit channel God has set up for deep communion, he will forever remain a mystery to us. His still small voice will be drowned out by the religious hustle, the -the run-of-the-mill sermon, the good advice that was never meant for us. Not knowing the way, we will end up like the holiday maker trapped in a house of mirrors. What begins as great fun soon turns to frustration and eventually panic. The scenario is tragic only because, not only because of its ending, but because it is so common and so avoidable. God has given us everything we need for success if we slow down and listen, if we settle back and observe. Our first act should be to savor the extraordinary prospect of courting and being courted by the creator of the universe. See, so worship, true worship, and I'm including that true communion with God, happens spirit to spirit. Because he is spirit. And he's seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Those are both important, right? There are deceptions out there that try that, that recognize the spirit is is essential and important in life, and so they're they're following the path of understanding spirit life, but they don't have truth. That's why Jesus said we need to worship God in spirit and in truth. So communion with God happens spirit to spirit, and that's because we're created in His image. He's given us the ability, by giving us a spirit being, he's given us the ability to have this communion with him, because he is spirit. Okay, alright, let's take uh, let's take a short break, and then we're going to come back. I know I'm going long on the beginning, but believe me, we're going to move through this, okay? 
but I want to lay a foundation. So let's just take a, a short five-minute break. The restrooms are down the hall to the right. Very interesting story. Testimony. I mean, testimony, yes. Yeah, like, how do you know he's talking to you? Like, how? I hear words in my mind that, that are different than just my own thoughts. So, I mean, it's, I don't, 
don't know how else to describe it. Right. A sentence will just, it's kind of like a sentence drops into your mind. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, we think all the time, right? We have words running through our minds all the time. Yeah. But these but these words are different. And that's what we're going to talk about is how do you recognize when it's God's words, you know, speaking to your mind. Mm-hmm. And then there's, and then, there's ways that he also can confirm what he's saying. Like he can he can put some words in my mind, and then I'll read a passage, and it will almost mimic uh-huh. what what he's just said to me. And so, so it's kind of like a confirmation, or some other way that it's confirmed. So I look for things like that too. We'll talk more about the kind of the mechanics and, and some of the different. Okay. And I want to hear from some of you all too. Is how does how do you know that God is speaking to you? I mean, Scripture says that He's our shepherd, and the sheep know His voice, right? So, this is something that, as sheep, we should be learning about. We should be learning how to recognize the voice of our shepherd. Okay, I want to read a quote from. This isn't in your notes either. Um, I should write this on the board. Pierre. I don't know how to say his name. He's a a monk from the early 1900s, Pierre Tillard de Chardin. I think he's French. (laughs) says, We are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Okay? I mean, that is insightful. We are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Yeah, you ought to put his name up there. <laughs> yeah. Um, let me write it so you can, you can Google this guy. So we're not human beings having a spiritual experience. And I'm still in that mode a lot. I'm still thinking of myself as a human being seeking to have a deeper, more fulfilling spiritual experience. It's okay to start off that way, but eventually where we need to end up is realizing that really it's the other way around. Really, we are a spiritual being that for temporary, this temporary period of time on earth, we're, we're having a, a human experience. But, you know, eternity for us is going to be a spirit, spiritual beings. We'll, we'll have some, something else. We'll have some kind of thing. It won't be a human body, I don't think, you know. But what is the core of our being is, is our spirit. So we are at its core a spiritual being. And that's where God wants to commune with us, spirit to spirit, like to like. Right? You've got to, if you're going to worship God, you've got to worship Him in spirit. Now, there's lots of outward physical things that we do in worship. Why? To, to get our spirits into worship mode, kind of, okay? I mean, your scripture says that we should have postures and, and there should be physical evidences and things, singing and instruments and prayer. These are things that we do physically because we are a physical person. We're not denying that. But it's all designed 
with one goal in mind, so that our spirits will enter into worship. And you guys know what that's like, right? On a Sunday morning, you can stand there with your hands up and singing, but your spirit is a thousand miles away. Are you worshiping? No, you're just standing there with your hands up. So worship actually has got to happen in spirit and in truth. Okay. So the first goal is so that we can know him, not as a project, not to know about him, but to know him and to be known by him. Secondly, so that he can transform us. Let's look up these verses. Romans 12, 2, 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18. And then somebody look up Colossians 3. Let's just look at those three. Well, I'll do the Colossians passage. Let's just do Romans. Somebody look up Romans and somebody second Corinthians. Romans, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Okay, so what is the goal there? What are we supposed to be? Transformed. Right. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Okay. Second Corinthians three. Now the Lord is the Spirit. <clears throat> Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Uh, and we, three, seventeen, seventeen, and eighteen. Yeah. And we who, uh, with unveiled faces, all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed in His likeness, with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Okay, we are being transformed, and it even indicates that this is a step-by-step process, right? Mm-hmm. Doesn't it say from glory to glory or something like that. Depends on your translation, maybe. But it, it's giving the indication that this is a progression of steps of transformation, more and more into the image of Christ. So our goal is Christ-likeness. We're supposed to become like our Master. That's what a disciple is supposed to be, right? A disciple is someone who becomes like their like their master, like their teacher. And this happens through transformation. Step-by-step process of becoming more and more like Christ. That's why we get to know Him. Because as we get to know Him, He can then begin to reveal things to us that need to change, that need to happen in us in order for us to become more like Him. And then as he reveals those things to us, we work on them, we confess if it's sin, we you know, make adjustments and we make changes, we, we open ourselves up to him, and we find ourselves slowly, by, slowly, step by step, becoming more and more like him. So that person who, who comes before God and says, God, I'm, I, I get angry every day, I, I have a hard time controlling my anger, God begins to reveal to them Here's, here's the things that are happening to you that are causing either this to, maybe to trigger or here's something that happened 
in your past that set this off, or he begins to reveal light into this person's life about how to deal with that anger, and then by the power of the Spirit living within them, begins to give that person strength not to lose their temper the next time. And when it happens, he confesses it, comes back to God and, and, and asks for grace, asks for strength, asks for help, and by the power of the Spirit, that person will become less, there will be less anger in that person's life because God is committed to transforming us more and more into the image of Christ. So it's, it's a step-by-step transformation process. Colossians chapter 3. Really, this whole chapter is great. I'm just going to read the first few verses. Colossians 3. If then you have been raised with with raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, then, is not Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. In other words, this applies to everybody, no matter what, who you are, where you're from, what your status is. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word, the living word, the word of Christ, in other words, his speaking to you. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Yeah. So that's how it works. So we know him and then he begins the work of trans, transforming us. It's kind of like, uh, you know, as we draw closer to God, God is light, right? So as we draw closer to him, what happens? He gets brighter. There's a light source. Mm-hmm. It gets brighter and brighter. And what happens to that light? It shines in, into our lives, right? And, and as we draw closer to the light, the light shines brighter on us. And, and what does light do? Yeah, it reveals, right? It shows up stuff. When we were over here in the dark, you know, we didn't notice a bunch of stuff about us. We were just happily living our dark lives. 
<laughs> but as we come closer and closer to God, the light is shining on us. And it's showing up things in our lives. And then when it shows up that crack, that defect, that wrong thinking, okay, that sin, then it can be dealt with because now it's it's out in the open, it's being revealed. Over here we didn't deal with it, right? We didn't even notice it. Yeah, I get angry. So does everybody else. <laughs> but now it's like, wow, I didn't realize I was such an angry person. You know? This is a problem. <laughs> because why? Because there's light shining on us. And so we see that the God brings that revelation into our lives. We see it. We confess it. We acknowledge it. And we ask Him for help to be transformed more and more into the image of Christ. God, I know you are not an angry person like this. Yes. Okay, well, let's not get into all the things about anger. God does get angry at sin, right? But you know what I'm talking about. Flashpoint rage kind of anger stuff that is sinful. So, God, I can't be this way if I'm going to be like you. Help me. And that's the beginning process of being transformed. So, read this under the verses here. The devotional life provides the right environment and conditions and allows us to be in the right position to experience God, to know and be known by Him, and to receive God's transforming grace. I want to read just a a passage that I think is really good out of Foster's book, Celebration of Discipline, on this topic. God has given us the disciplines of the spiritual life as a means of receiving His grace. The disciplines allow us to place ourselves before God so that He can transform us. A farmer is helpless to grow grain. All he can do is provide the right conditions for the growing of grain. He cultivates the ground, he plants the seed, he waters the plants, and then the natural forces of the earth take over, and up comes the grain. This is the way it is with the spiritual disciplines. They are a way of sowing to the spirit. The disciplines are God's way of getting us into the ground. They put us where he can work on us and transform us. By themselves, the spiritual disciplines can do nothing. They can only get us to the place where something can be done. They are God's means of grace. The inner righteousness we seek is not something that is poured on our heads. God has ordained the disciplines of the spiritual life as the means by which we place ourselves where he can bless us. And then he talks about that they are really the the path of disciplined grace. It's grace because it's free. It's God's work totally, but it's disciplined grace because there is something for us to do. Okay, There's a partnership here. We can't just sit back and go, okay, God, well, transform me. You know, make me like yourself. That's what you want to do. You know, it's there. He requires of us participation in this. And so our part is the disciplines, and his part is the grace. So do you understand what Foster's point is here? He's saying it's not having the quiet time, which is the goal. It's not having an effective quiet time that is going to make you spiritually mature. Okay? Does that make sense? The quiet time is the place where you're now finally ready 
and open and willing and able to receive what God's going to speak and impart into your life. And that's the change that's going to happen. The, the quiet time is the preparation of the ground, the sowing of the seed, the watering of it, but then it's God doing the work in the seed to grow it is the change that happens in your life. Okay? Does that make sense? So it's important, but it's not the end result. It's not the goal. The goal is transformation of our lives more and more into the image of Christ. And the disciplines of life, fasting, prayer, meditation, you know, all these things, scripture reading, study, these are the things that put us in a position where now God can begin to work into us in that spirit-to-spirit communion and relationship to make the changes, to bring about the, the, the transformation that needs to happen in our life. Um, yeah, so mechanics will help, okay? And you can, but, but the problem is you can have all of the mechanics of a good quiet time, but your life not being transformed because you haven't opened yourself up spirit to spirit to God. You're just, you know, having a, a nice time of listening to praise music and, and reading His Word and, and going through your list of prayers, you know, and saying, well, that I have a good discipline of quiet time, but there's nothing happening changing your life because you're not communing spirit to spirit with God. Okay? So that's, that's the goal. Our faith must not be shallow. Let us be those disciples whose roots grow deep in the soil of God in Him to draw real life and be firmly planted. Only then can we thrive amid the dryness of difficulty, the tempting pulls of the world, and the choking weeds of our culture. So there's there's a formula for transformation. And so you engineer types will love this because you love formulas. <laughs> so write down four words this is the formula for biblical transformation. Let's spell it here. Revelation plus right response equals transformation. So that's the formula for, for biblical transformation. Revelation. So God opens up something to you. Revelation could come to you in a number of different ways. It could come in a sermon like it did to me that day, right? Gary's sermon. Revelation. Don, you are sinning. <laughs> you told me you, you would obey me. You know, and not look for work. And what are you doing? Revelation. I got a revelation that day. The revelation may not be that dramatic. It might be, you know, a scripture verse that you're reading. It might be something you hear on the radio. It could be God speaking to you. But, but revelation, and and this is God's part. You know, he he is committed to revealing to you. <laughs> okay. He, he is committed to not giving up on you and helping you in this process. He's not just sitting off in the corner waiting for you to get everything right and then you can 
begin this relationship. He's pursuing you. Can I say yeah. something real quick, Don? <clears throat> you know, when she just mentioned about the, the analogy with, with the fertile soil, really brought to mind the picture of, of something I was just talking to my wife yesterday about. You know, we've been, you know, every year we, we tend to fertilize too late, and so we end up having, you know, spots of, of, of dead grass in our St. Augustine. So this year we're very intentional about doing the preparation work and fertilizing, doing wheat and feed, and, and really preparing our soil. And we have a pretty lush lawn right now, and we're, we're really proud of it. Yesterday we're like, man, it's looking good. Let's put another thing of fertilizer on there. And it's just not on me that, you know, we're wanting to prepare our lawn so the roots go deep into the soil and create a deep foundation to be able to withstand the heat and the scorchy heat and dryness of the summer in Texas. And it's the same way that we have to prepare ourselves for what comes to us in life in general. If we're not deep in the connection of, of our relationship with the Lord and deep in, in that relationship aspect of the Lord, then when troubles come, we're going to be sucking air, and we're going to be just grasping for whatever we can to try to help us get through. We're not going to have the kind of foundational strength that we can have if we do the preparation work beforehand. Right. So that's just really, that's really yep. profound. To me. Very, very true. Well put. So God, so God is going to reveal to us things from time to time. Our part is this: the right response. What is the right response? There's two right responses. One is worship. Students' obedience. The first thing that should happen when we understand that God has revealed something to us is we should worship Him. Right? <laughs> we should, and I don't mean, you know, like run to church so you can be at the next worship service. No. Worship immediately, right where you are. If it means falling on your face, if it means getting on your knees, if it means raising your hands, if Whatever you've got to do to just cry out to God and say, God, thank you so much for revealing this to me. I worship you. You are amazing. You love me so much to, to even bring this to me because you are not. this shows me that you're not giving up on me, that you're committed to my transformation, You know that, that you love me. Well, it's what we do with our children, right? We don't just ignore our children when they do something wrong or they start wandering off in some direction. So immediately we worship God. And secondly, then we need to obey. We need to then say, okay, Lord, what do I need to do? What does my response need to be? Because in light of whatever it is, the revelation that you're, that you're giving me. So for example, in that, in that situation, I went in and confessed. I believe that confession is part of worship. So I confessed my sin, worshipped God, thanked Him for showing that to me, and then I took all my searching, you know, job search stuff and put it away. I refused to to take one more step in looking for work. So we need to obey after we worship. And when we do this, when this process begins to happen in our lives in a cycle. That cycle leads to the beginning steps of transformation. And we look back a year later and we go, wow, I'm not the same person that I was a year ago. So let's take the example of that person struggling with anger. God reveals to them you know, that they are an angry person, that they have fits of rage. They 
they recognize it, they thank God for it, and they say, okay, Lord, whatever I need to do. And maybe he begins to lead this person to, you know, maybe he needs to go to his men's small group and confess to them, guys, I struggle with anger. You know, would you pray for me about this? Would you hold me accountable? So he begins to take the steps of obedience. A year, a year later, he looks back and he realizes, I'm not nearly as angry as I used to be because God's Spirit is now working within him and beginning to transform him. Okay, so our goal in this, remember, is, is not to somehow have a quiet time that produces some sort of good feeling, right? Where we really feel like we have just touched the face of God, okay? I mean, that's not the goal. God may give you those. I, I can tell you I've had, I've had quiet times that, that were like that, where it was just like a kiss from the Lord. It was like, you know closeness that is hard to describe where you just feel the presence of God so close and those are wonderful and I believe God gives those to us just to let us know how much he loves us but that is not our goal right we're going to have eternity of that kind of closeness with God our goal is this is to become more and more like Christ our personalities you know our character our actions more and more like like Jesus, I, I'm not, I'm not going to go in t- time to do this, but there's there's several scripture passages that 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 give this formula. I didn't make this up. <laughs> uh, I, actually, from studying through scripture, seeing this pattern, uh, Moses, for example, in uh, in Exodus chapter 33 and 34, you can write that down and look that up. This is what happened. Well, let's just look at that one as an example. Genesis 1. Exodus. Exodus. 33. So this is when... So this is when Moses is interceding trying to convince God not to do away with the children of Israel. Um, well, it starts at verse 12. So Moses' intercession starts at verse 12 and through the end of that chapter. Uh, but the verses, that, that sets the, the background. And then in chapter 34, um, No, I'm sorry. Verse 17 of 33. Okay. So God God relents to Moses' plea and says, Okay, I will not destroy the people and I will go with you. So verse 14, he says, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Um, and then verse 17, The Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight. And what? I know you by name. Isn't it interesting? Even then, this is what this is the way God was describing having a personal, intimate relationship with with a man, with a person. I know you by name. Moses said. So, what's Moses' re- response? Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, 
and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me when you shall pass on the rock, when you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So Moses had this amazing, incredible connection and relationship with God, where God actually, you know, they they became so close in this intercession that Moses was having in this back and forth where Moses was saying, God, you can't desert us. You know, you're our God. We can't go anywhere without you. And then God says, I know you, Moses, by name, and so I will I will do what you're asking me. And Moses says, oh, God, can I just see your glory? He just he wants to get closer and closer. Do you see that? And so God says, okay, I'm going to give you a unique experience. So then we see what happens. Um, Look at verse 8 of chapter 34. Well, sorry, verse 5 of 34. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Okay, so there is amazing, incredible revelation happening right there. So what is Moses' response? Verse 8, And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. And then what happens is God renews his covenant with the children of Israel, and they and they go on. So first he worships, and then he obeys by carrying out what God tells him to do to lead the people. So Moses has incredible revelation, and he has the right response. And Moses is transformed. How do we know it? Look at verse 29 of chapter 34. When Moses came down from the Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. So there was even actual physical (laughs) evidence of the transformation that was taking place in Moses from his communion with God. It's interesting, too, because Joshua has similar experience. If you go back in chapter 33 and look at what happens in the tent of meeting, chapter 33, verse 7, Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. Everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses returned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. So do you see this hunger that's in Joshua? He just, he just wants to be in the presence of God. 
he sees Moses having this kind of a relationship and he says that's what I want too and that's why I believe in Judges when Joshua is confronted with with the Lord he knows what to do so that experience is in Judges chapter 5 I'm sorry Joshua Joshua chapter 5 verse 13 you can jot this reference down and look it up later. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? He said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped. So what do we have again? Same. We have revelation. The commander of the host of the army of God shows up to tell Joshua what his strategy is going to be. And Joshua worships immediately. So Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals, trim your feet, for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now what's interesting is chapter 6 talks then about how to how the Israelites were to win Jericho. I think Gary preached on this message, didn't he? Not too long ago. So but that strategy is given in this conversation. It's all at the same time. Just because there's a chapter break there doesn't mean there, that something changed. The conversation continues in verse 2 of chapter 6. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I've given Jericho into your hand. So where does Joshua get this? Get the revelation, get the strategy for taking Jericho? In that conversation that he had with the commander of the host of the Lord while he's flat on his face worshiping. Then God tells him what to do, and Joshua does step number two. He obeys, and the, the victory is won. So that's that's the goal: is that as we receive revelation, we worship and we're transformed. I'll just give you references for other passages you can look up. Isaiah chapter six is another amazing passage about how Isaiah encounters the revelation of God and then follows the same pattern. Ezekiel chapter 1 through chapter 3 all those first three chapters of Ezekiel and then we see it also in the New Testament in Romans and Ephesians the book of Romans the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans are all revelation Okay, Paul is writing the incredible revelation of God's theology the theology of salvation is being written in the book of Romans from chapters 1 to 11. It's all revelation. So what should we see happen after revelation? What should the next thing be? Worship. So let's take a look at Romans chapter 11. The summary summary of the first 11 chapters of Romans is in chapter 11, verse 32. Paul sums up all his great, incredible doctrinal thesis of salvation by grace through faith in Christ. And so in, in Romans 11, verse 32, he says, For God has consigned all, all of humanity, to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. That's the summary verse. Look, nobody can do it on their own. We're all condemned 
but now mercy is available to all through Christ. That's the summary verse. So Paul has just finished writing this incredible revelatory thesis that he's received from the Holy Spirit on what, what salvation by grace means. And then what happens in, verses, in verse 33? Paul breaks out into spontaneous worship. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor? Or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. So Paul, in those verses, breaks out into spontaneous worship because he just received this incredible revelation. And then what is the, what are the, the next chapters of the book? Romans 12 through 16 are what? It's all about obedience. It's all about how now to live the Christian life. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world. We read that verse earlier. So now the rest of the book of, of Romans is all obedience. It's all how to live out your life in light of this incredible revelation that you've just received. So, actually, the book of Ephesians is, is the same way. The first three chapters of the book of Ephesians are all revelation. And the last three chapters of the book of Ephesians are all obedience. And right in the middle of them, at the end of chapter 3, are three or four verses of spontaneous praise. So, it's kind of fun to read Scripture that way. Okay. Let's go on. I know it still seems like we're making slow progress, but we're going to get through this. So our goal for this class, our goal is not to merely scratch the surface, is to merely scratch the surface of understanding the devotional life, and in so doing, hopefully to motivate each of us to pursue it with more determination, passion, and joy. So the bad news is that your your journey is going to be opposed by the devil. He does not want you to walk in a vital conversational relationship with God. He doesn't want that. He knows what happens when Christians start to do this. Right? He loses any grip he may have had on him. He knows the power of a life turned toward its maker. I think every one of us could tell stories about how you know, how the, the enemy has been successful in, in holding us back from, from this, from pursuing this kind of relationship with God. But the good news is that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. If you seek the Lord in earnest, you will find him. And in finding him, you will find life. Somebody look up John chapter 5. Uh, It's not on here, so you might want to jot it down. John chapter 5, verses 39 and 40. hasn't read yet. Let me pick on somebody that hasn't. If you haven't read yet, would you mind? Which one is it? John chapter 5, 39 and 40. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Wow. What was Jesus telling the religious teachers of the day? They were they were reading the scriptures. Well, I erased that 
the, li the written word and the living word. They were focusing on the written word, right? That was their entire focus was the scriptures, the written word. They were experts in the scriptures. They knew it inside and out. They knew every little thing about it. But what did he tell them? Is the life there? He said, no, but you don't come to me, the living word, which is where the life is. And he said, actually, the written word, the scriptures tell you about me and tell you to do that. It's not the fault of the scriptures. It's the fault of how we're treating them. It's what you I'm, do with I'm it. telling you guys something that was a big wrestle with me for years because I was taught that this is the ultimate. But I've learned that this is not the ultimate. The ultimate is Jesus and my communion with Him. Now, I'm not putting this down at all, okay? Everything in here is true and revelation and divinely inspired. We read that earlier. But what I'm saying is that Jesus Himself said that just pursuing Scriptures, you're missing the boat. You should be pursuing Scriptures in order to understand how to pursue Him. And that in pursuing Him is where you have life. There's going to be people standing at that judgment seat that will know this book inside and out and won't be going into heaven because they missed out on, you know, God's going to say to them, I didn't know you. So please, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not, I'm not saying the scriptures are not important. They are a, a divine revelation from God that, that are given to us in order to, to point us to Him. So, it's in Him that we find life. J.I. Packer says, Knowing God is a relationship calculated to thrill a man's heart. Jamie Buckingham, another great author, said this, Having tasted from the sweet spring of intimacy with God, we will never again be satisfied with lapping from earth's polluted puddles. Jamie Buckingham, that's taken from his book called The Last Word. You want to look it up. Having tasted from the sweet spring of intimacy with God, we will never again be satisfied with lapping from earth's polluted puddles. Okay. We're going to move on to the section now in meditation, but let, let me just see if there's any thoughts on what we've talked about so far. sense? Questions? Fuzziness you want to try to clear up? Personal personal story or experience you want to share? Well, I know that um, I'm, I'm in the Monday night worship and school of prayer and uh, um, the way they have you meditate on scripture and listen to the Lord because I've, I've done, you know, Bible Study Fellowship, and I've done Beth Moore, and I've done, you know, all those. And, uh, and yet, I hadn't um, learned to just look at a scripture. You know, I mean, I've read them, and I've thought about them. But, I mean, the way they said there, uh, and... 
it's been a while, but I thought that was some, you know, something new that nobody had ever told me. Mm-hmm. It's like we study the heck out of it and we pull it all apart, and but it, it's like what you said, you know, you have to have the other part too. And there's value to study, all right? There's value to really getting into in-depth study of the scriptures. The danger with that that we need to be guarding ourselves from is that we think that that's all there the is. goal, yeah. that, that figuring out what the real meaning it here is and how that word is used and and what we, we, we pull for that knowledge. Okay, we're, we're really focused on having a bunch of knowledge about Scripture. But if that doesn't lead us into knowing God, not knowledge about God, but knowing Him, worshiping Him, drawing closer to Him, hearing His voice, being able to recognize what it means when he's speaking to us, then then what's the point, right? What's what's the point of just having a lot of knowledge about <laughs> the technicalities of Scripture? It's funny you said that, because I was just thinking that. Yeah, what's so, I, and guys, I, I know exactly what this is, because this was my life for years and years, was just study the Word, and and that was what I thought I was supposed to do, was just know the Word really good but I didn't realize that it was all to draw me to really having a relationship with the living Word of God, Jesus, and a conversational, intimate walk with Him. John 6, this isn't in your notes either, you can jot it down there. John 6, 63. Yeah, John 6. John 6 is where Jesus is talking about... You know, he's talking about how I am the bread of life. I tell you, the teachings of Jesus make a whole lot more sense once you understand what he's really getting at. Okay? He says, um, he says, uh, oh, let's go back up to verse uh, 46. Uh, Well, 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. In other words, me. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And then he says the very, you know, strange things in verse 53. Truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the Father, living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread that the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught Capernaum. Okay, can you imagine how this is hitting the people? You know, it's like, is he, he's kind of gone off the deep end, I think. We liked him up until now, you know. But he's a cannibal. He's, yeah, he's advocating cannibalism. He's somehow, it's, it's probably it's weird, I mean, Right, but but he's it's so amazing that he's 
getting at something that is so integral to what the spiritual life is all about, which is it's all about me and knowing me. And he's equating it to, to eating food and drinking liquid. That that you eat and drink becomes part of you, right? It then it feeds you, it nourishes you, and it is you. And and he's trying to he's trying to make a point that is so bizarre that it will that it will somehow sink in the importance of the relationship that we need to have with Christ. Now, the interesting thing is, okay, it says a lot of the people were upset by what he said and left him. Um, okay, let's read verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Listen now, verse 63, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. That one verse is the total explanation for his entire teaching. He's he's answering their dilemma. What are you talking about, Jesus? Here's the answer. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. He's saying, I'm not talking about the flesh. I'm not talking about my flesh. Come on, you're missing the point. I was trying to... I was trying to drive home how important it is to have this connection with me, so much so that it's like you're eating me and drinking me. You're taking me into you. But the flesh has nothing to do with it. I'm not talking about flesh. I'm talking about the Spirit. It is the Spirit who gives life. The words that I have spoken to you are Spirit and life. Again, what's he saying? I am the Word. I am the living word, and my word, the living word, is what gives life. So Jesus is is talking about the importance of us walking in this kind of intimacy with him. That is what the spiritual life is all about. Okay, so how do we do that? Let's talk about some, some practical things, because this is all this is all kind of heavy stuff, right? Trying Trying to wrap your brain around this can sometimes uh, be challenging because it's, it, it is so. It, it's in a in the spirit realm that we have to think, and we're not sometimes used to that. So how how do we help ourselves navigate all this? Well, let's talk about meditation because I believe that meditation is one of the the best ways that we can bring this spirit word, this connection with the living word into our lives is through meditation. Uh, Do I have the quote from Piper at the top there? Okay, so you guys have heard of the Westminster Shorter Catechism? Some of you all good Presbyterians in here? Ever heard of it? It's called the Westminster Shorter Catechism, and it goes like this. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. You ever heard anybody quote that? This is the summary of the meaning of life. They, the Westminster Catechism put it down into one sentence. The chief end of man is to glorify God 
and enjoy him forever. It's pretty good, actually, when you think about it. That's what we're here for. If anybody asks you, what is the meaning of life? Just remember the Westminster Catechism. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. John Piper changed one little word in there and said, really, the Westminster Catechism fell just a little bit short. It really should be the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. Isn't that so much better? Right? It's through our enjoyment of God in our relationship with him that we glorify him. He then transforms our life. We turn more and more into the image of Christ. The world sees the change. They see Christ in us, and they're drawn to him. Remember Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw them into myself. Well, now we are him. We are the body of Christ in the world, and he is going to draw people to himself and be glorified because he's shining his light through us. How can he do that? He needs to transform us. He needs to make us more and more like him so people can see him in us. And so the chief end of man, John Piper says, is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. This happens because we have such joy in our relationship with God, in our walk with him, in our daily communion with him, that his light, we glorify him in our lives and through the light that he shines through us. So the devotional life begins with and is sustained through meditation. It's the foundational discipline of a devoted disciple. But there's a lot of misunderstanding about the term meditation. And there's been a lot of influence from, you know, Eastern religion, and especially in this country, New Age and popular culture that has kind of captured the term meditation. And we don't even really hear this term too much in church these days. I mean, when was the last time you heard a sermon on meditation? Probably been a while. But I think that it's one of the missing pieces that has caused this superficiality to occur in Christianity and in our culture. Because we do not understand biblical meditation. And I believe that biblical meditation is the door to spiritual transformation. The word meditation occurs actually 58 times in the Old Testament. So it is definitely a biblical term. The enemy has captured the term and turned it into something else. And now the world associates meditation with something other than Christianity. But for years that wasn't so. Meditation was associated with Christianity because it's so biblical. 58 times in the Old Testament alone. And I've listed just a few of those. In Genesis, Isaac went out to meditate in the field. Joshua 1.8, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Psalm 1-2, the great psalm about the man of God, right? And in his law, he meditates day and night. Psalm 19, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. Psalm 63, I meditate on you in the night watches. And even in the New Testament, Philippians 4-8 says, list the things that we are supposed to let our minds dwell on. That's the essence of meditation, letting our minds dwell on these things. When I think of meditation, I think of the Benedictine order. They were really big on, mm-hmm. on meditation. 
in early Christianity, meditation was actually a very honored and you know sought after spiritual discipline. And and actually, even now, I would say the Catholics there's there's certain streams of the Catholic Church that probably understand meditation better than we do. Uh, evangelicals, unfortunately, I think really lost a lot by not capturing uh, an understanding and teaching an understanding of what real biblical meditation is. Um, so so what, what is meditation? Let's define it. Here I've written out what I think is a helpful definition. This is what J.I. Packer says in his book, Knowing God. Meditation is the activity of calling to mind and thinking over and dwelling on and applying to oneself the various things that one knows about the works and ways and purposes and promises of God. It is an activity of holy thought, consciously performed in the presence of God, as a means of communion with God. Its purpose is to clear one's mental and spiritual vision of God and to let His truth make its full and proper impact on one's mind and heart. That is a really good definition. Okay, I would keep that around in your quiet time, maybe for a while, until you've really learned it in here, and you can you can understand it all. But I would go through that as you begin this process. That's what meditation really is. Now, I wrote my own definition to try to be shorter. I said meditation is the private love language between us and the great lover of our soul. In essence, that's what it boils down to. It's the communion that we have with God. It's that love language. You guys remember the love, Five Love Languages book that came out a few years back on marriage, right? That was the big thing, determining your spouse's love language. Well, I think meditation is the love language that we have with God. <coughs> now, the problem is, like I said, meditation has been captured in, in a large measure by other religions. And, and in... Eastern or New Age meditation, uh, there's some significant differences between that and biblical meditation. So let me just let me just give you a couple. These are not in your notes, so you might want to write these down. Okay. So in in Eastern or New Age meditation, the goal is to lose your identity. Okay, and you're and you're supposed to kind of merge into the cosmos or a cosmic being, maybe. You know, or and, and essentially in, in Eastern meditation, you're supposed to empty yourself and become detached. The goal is to be to be empty and detached. Do you remember? I mean. Uh, that's what Buddha was trying to achieve. He was trying to achieve nothingness. Why? Because he wanted to escape the sufferings of the world. His goal was to escape the world's sufferings. So how do you do that? You meditate away until you're finally just so detached that you're nothing. And then you're not going to suffer. That's the essence of Buddhism. Doesn't that sound wonderful? I mean, I, I don't want to go there, but that's that's essentially what Buddhist theology is about. Okay, 
biblical meditation. So this is Eastern. New Age has taken a lot from that. Biblical says we don't lose our identity. We see our identity in Christ. Biblical meditation, actually we find our true identity, right? We don't try to escape our identity. We find our true identity in Christ. In biblical meditation, we don't try to merge with some cosmic being. We, we see ourselves as separate from God. And we, and we, we see Him as the one true God. So in Eastern thinking, you know, the universe is just sort of a cosmic being. We nirvana. We we kind of want to merge into the, the cosmic being. And actually it goes further to say that we're, we're all divine. We all have divinity in us. And if we'll just understand that, and our meditation is geared to, to getting us to understand that our divineness. We're all just part of the divine universe. Biblical meditation says, no, 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 no. There is one divine God and He's separate from us. Okay, We're made in His image, yes. But we are not Him. He is the one God. And then biblical meditation also says, yes, there is some emptying that needs to happen but we empty in order to attach, not detach. Attach to God, in essence. Draw closer to Him. Become transformed more and more into the image of Christ. What we empty is distraction. We empty ourselves of, of sin. We empty ourselves of the things that are keeping us from moving closer and closer to God. Okay. So those are just some of the comparisons with with what the culture says about meditation and what the Bible says about meditation. See, the thing is, the, the devil knows how powerful biblical meditation is. So he, he tries to capture it and twist it and turn it just a little bit so that it becomes something different. It's appealing because there's something in us that says meditation and connection with God is what we're made for, is what we're here for. So the devil takes that and says, okay, well do that practice this way and connect to something else. right? Anything but God. Anything but the true God. So, uh, as usual, that happens. Yes? I'm a little confused. Okay. When you say empty and detach as the Eastern meditation mm-hmm. concept, but then the biblical concept, you say separate from God. So when you say empty and detach, but you say separate, no, I'm kind of confused. No, what I mean is what I mean by They're separate is that we're, we're, we're distinct him. from God. Okay. We're separate from Him. We're not. We're not divine. separating. Sorry, that was probably not the right word to okay. use there. Is that clear? Sorry for confusion. No, I'm saying that that we are not God. We're separate from Him, but we are to draw close to Him as opposed to this detaching that okay. Eastern meditation wants us to have. Okay. Second Corinthians eleven three. Somebody want to look that up? Let's read that verse. 2 Corinthians 11.3 Yes. Okay. 
Who's got it? Kathy? But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Okay, so Paul was concerned about this too. There's a history here of being deceived as humans, right? By the enemy. It starts back in the garden where the serpent, the devil, was able to deceive Eve and Adam bought into it. That actually we can... Actually, what was the deception, right? That we are as God. We can be God, right? And that's that's still going on. The same deception with the twists and turns over the millennia is still there. But what's the essence? Purity and simplicity of devotion to Christ. That's that's the essence of of the truth. Okay, Galatians. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. You can drop the reference now. Purity and simplicity of what? To uh, devotion to Christ. So Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. I'll just read it. Paul, again, this is Galatians, so he's writing to them to try to uh, show them that, that this return back to fulfilling the law is just not what God wants for them. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Yeah, right? So there's been a lot of that going on through the ages, right? Look at Mormonism. That was definitely an angel (coughs) preaching a different gospel. Look at even Islam. Muhammad's revelations came from an angel. Right? So Paul is being very prophetic there and saying that the enemy is going to use any tactic he can, even supposedly angelic revelations, to try to get us off track of what the truth that God has for us. Okay, let's take a quick break, and then we're going to come back and go through these practical... We're going to get into the nuts and bolts of what is, how do you actually practice biblical meditation. Five minutes. So, can you uh, one more time say, tell me what uh, you were talking about, the purity and... Simplicity of devotion to Christ. That's the Second Corinthians passage. Second Corinthians 11. Of devotion. Of devotion. Yes, that's what I was to Christ. To Christ.
Zool, I kept wondering why he was calling you blue, and I thought he was teasing you about your shirt. No. Now I say your name. Yeah, it's blue. Yeah, I just was trying to be funny this morning. We did small group together in the morning. Um, and I always put a little just to be funny. I thought I'd keep it real with him. And is, the, is that your actual name? It's my real middle name. Okay. It's spelled B O U only, not like the color. Okay. I see so many kids uh, with unusual names. I actually met a teacher whose first name is Unique. Oh, that is her name. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I'll stick with the popular 80s name, Jennifer. Just like my brother Michael and Robert, you know. Uh-huh. I'll stick with those. At least those are names. <laughs> you know, they're too popular. Uh, there was one girl who was destiny, and inspiration was one, and miracle was one. How about clouds, lightning, <laughs> rain, <laughs> water, well, air? My friend who goes to church here, and her daughter's name is Rain. Oh, excuse me. Sorry. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I asked her recently what was the inspiration. She said, well, I love her.
I guess it was water. Uh, God bless America and uh, the National League. I'm cool. I'm cool. That's all right. Pardon me? Okay. You can, you can have football heroes here. Okay. Worship. Okay. We're going to go through the, the meditation part of this. I, I am not probably going to teach through the, uh, the worship, prayer, and study pieces. I might make some quick comments at the end about those. Okay? But usually what I find is that the time I want to spend, I want to focus on meditation because I think it's the piece that's been missing in, uh, in, in training and teaching and really understanding uh, how to have this kind of conversational relationship with God. So uh, don't despair if you feel like, wow, we're just on like you know, page whatever at 11.30. I really want to focus on just this next section on meditation. So practical steps. Let me start off just by asking you a question. Do you believe that you can hear the voice of God? Yes. Do you do you believe it? Do you really believe that you can hear the voice of God? Maybe not always audibly, but he puts thoughts into our mind or he has us like you said, a scripture or a teaching or whatever um, grab us. Okay. I see maybe the Holy Spirit kind of do that. Okay. I know it says in the word, do you believe that you can hear the voice of God? I believe he's helping my own. Good. Yeah. How about you, Kathy? what you're saying you believe that you can that you can communicate with God, God of the, the universe. universe one to one personally Meredith sometimes I get thrown off by the voice thing because to me there have been you know not very many times but sometimes where I felt clearly God communicated with me you know Right. But, and I don't doubt those things, but before that, I was always thinking, I don't know, like, it should right. be in, even if I don't hear something audibly, like language, you know, even internal, but it's not necessarily words, right. it's more an idea, or this is right, or this is okay. confirmation of something. Do you believe that you can hear God speaking to you in words? Yeah, I'm just saying my... In my experience, yeah. I haven't had that directly. I think that can happen, definitely. But I think that concerned me for a long time. But then in my own personal experience, you know, I've had 
peace from God about right. something specific or right. an idea that this is what I should do. Right. <clears throat> so, I mean, I guess it can come in many different ways, but it's still him right. leading you, leading me as a shepherd. I, I, I had um, where I don't think I actually heard a voice, an auditory thing, but when I think back on it, it just, it, I would have sworn that I heard the words. Okay. What were they? Can you tell us? Is it okay? All right. That's all right. So, can you, do you believe that you, that you can converse with the God of the universe personally, one-to-one? Anybody? It's okay to say I'm not so sure. Sometimes I, I said that listening. for years. Sorry. Sometimes I wonder if he's listening. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes I wonder if he's listening. <laughs> I think I hear him most when I'm in that desperate place. When I, and I think that goes back to that whole. <coughs> Part about being totally transparent and open, mm-hmm. and sometimes maybe it's more of a request, like for me, you know, like okay, Lord, can you get really quick answer or something, you know? But am I really being still and listening and giving it the time I need to really hear His voice? Yeah, take that. I identify with that because those times when I really need a word, that's when I really seek out. The other yeah. times when I'm doing everything's going great, I really don't need but what about time when we don't need him that much when we're not that desperate I think that he, that's when he wants to hear from us also not just when, not just when you know, we're down need but, when, but, but when we just want to thank him for what we already have what we just want to I, yeah. worship him because yeah. you know because he's there and we love him you know I mean that's the way I communicate with him now you know, I, yeah. I, you know I, I try to you know tell him that I love him every day just because I do you know what if your children? What if your children only wanted to speak with you when they were in trouble? Then you don't want to How would you feel about your relationship with your kids? Used. I think one of the things that keeps us from hearing the word, hearing the voice, the words of God, is that our culture says, "Be self-reliant." Be capable. Um, you're in control, and so we have to fight that on a daily basis. Yeah, I believe you think he's in control when you you're out of control, when you can't control it, and then that fear sets in, and reality hits, and that's when you have to wake up. So, and to me, you know, the way I believe he speaks to me is like, no matter how bad things are around me, like he gives me the peace to do the right thing and then the courage to follow through and not fall short. I mean, I'm only human, so I do that. I do fall short like everyone else. But, you know, he tugs at my conscience more than I believe probably some. And that's what, you know, that's what I believe. I actually kind of struggle um, wondering if he's listening to me, if he's really there. And whether I should even ask him for help, because I'm struggling with some stuff and really need some healing and deliverance. So I kind of feel like I'm not worth it. So mm-hmm. sometimes that's why I don't even bother. 
I think it's hard to hear him, and we're not that patient. We don't want to wait, sit in his presence, because it seems like it takes a long time, and it's hard to do. It feels like a waste of time to pray. Oh, and you know, we'll just pray about it. Feels like opposite from what it is. We don't really do that. Yeah, wrapped in this world. Yeah, I think that's what Gary had preached one time. You know. Um, God is forever. You know, we're here for a short time, so we're all in a hurry. And uh, But He knows what He's doing. His timing is perfect. It might not be to us here on this earth, but for Him it is. He knows exactly what He's doing. We just have to be patient and believe in Him. What I have a problem with is, my, with, with like some people are saying about, about control. Well, I'm the biggest, uh, I have to admit and confess, you know, that I, I think I feel like I'm the biggest uh, control freak in the whole wide world. But I have to struggle with that every day. But I have to ask God, God, is this your will or my will? So that's how I handle it. And I have to listen to him. I have to be open and listen to what he tells me. Would you say that your relationship with God right now is more one-sided or more even? Would you say that you tend to be the one doing all the talking? Or does God, or do you tend to be the one doing all the listening? Or is it about half and half? Give me some sense of what you think about that. One-sided, which way? My way, of course. (laughs) In other words, you do more of the talking. Yes. (laughs) What if your kids came to you and didn't want to hear anything you had to say, but just wanted to to always be telling you everything? Do you know my daughter? Yeah. I would venture to say rarely would it be that God does all the talking. I think, I mean, just in my personal experience, you know, unless I'm pursuing God... You know, he's a gentleman. He, he, I haven't known him to, you know, to really speak to me that often when I'm not actually pursuing him about something. Uh, he's not. I haven't known him, his characteristic to be one of, of, of an overbearance or one who pushes himself on me. He, he. I think God meets us at our point of obedience. As we draw near to Him, He'll draw near to us. And so I would venture to say that um, more times than not. Potentially, it's either an equal uh, reciprocal effort, or it's one-sided on the part of, of 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 us not of us seeking him, but not maybe not hearing from him because perhaps we're not doing it in the right way. Yeah. How many of y'all have had prayer times where you just pray and you get through all the things, and then you say, "And bless my day," you know, or "Help me today," in Jesus' name, Amen, and then you move on. I've been there many, many times. Anybody else? Sounds like Grace at my grandfather's house. Yeah. Yeah, just uh, bless his food, amen. But isn't... So we're kind of already, you know, in this, the relationship that we have with God is, is, I think, primarily more lopsided, where we tend to just tell him what's on our minds, ask him for help, and we might spend some time in the Word and kind of think, okay, well, the time I'm reading the Word is when, you know, I'm supposed to be hearing from Him. God, t- show me something in your Word here. God, you know, 
lead me to that verse, God, whatever. We want the answers and sometimes don't put forth the effort to earn them. Lots of times when I'm going through some stuff, you know, in my personal life, you know, I'm praying about it or meditating about it, you know, that weekend, you know, that same week, you know, like usually on Sundays when I'm at church, I hear something about it, you know, from Gary, you know, himself. And I feel like that's how God talks to me, Mm -hmm. through Gary. So let's think about how does God talk to you through the preacher, right? What else? Through word. Through the word. The written word, right? What else? Through others. Sorry? Through others. Through others. Through testimonies. Like somebody might say something, come up and say something to you. That just kind of confirms maybe like something that maybe a word or something that the pastor said that somebody else might just speak something that, okay. that you've been praying about or something you know, it's to me okay. it's and I don't mean just anybody either I'd have to clarify that okay. another believer think you can hear God from a non-believer mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. yes I think you have to be very careful though yeah you gotta be careful from a non-believer oh John Piper just had a little blip past week that I read or listened to whatever it was and it helped me in my mini crisis and it is non-believers it's where it's if it's passing from you to them then yes it's a matter of um, or are they rubbing off on you it was really good so yes you can speak through a donkey, so. <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to say, I think he speaks through nature sometimes. Through not in a, not in a, you know, not in a, in a evolutionary type sense, but in the sense of, you know, like this, like the example I gave earlier, of just thinking about how, you know, grass grows and the, just the, the, you know, um, sacred you know, crops and harvesting the crops and reaping what you sow. A lot of, I think, biblical truth that he reveals to us um, through nature and through his creation. Mm-hmm. To me, it'd be like, I don't know, it's kind of weird, but probably like my soul, love, and peace, in a way. Those three things combined kind of is what drives me. I've just recently joined choir, and we just did this long um, cantata, and it was all the words of Christ in his own words. And by practicing the music and then performing the music and listening to it on the CD, mm-hmm. that lives in my head. Mm-hmm. I am the Word. The Word is God, and the Word was God. Mm-hmm. Um, we, all of that. You think that part of Him speaking through creation could be like our pets as companions, possibly, for like healing and stuff like that? Mm, kind of like peace of mind to kind of, you, you know. feel like that's happened, or you're just asking if that Well, I kind of feel happen. like it's going on, okay. considering the family I mean, they're lack of, of... They're part of creation, right? So you would say that, right? Yeah. I, I definitely would up. say that. God spoke through a donkey. <laughs> it just sounds funny Eric, you're being quiet that. back there. Any thoughts? Well, I think that a lot of times we try to put human constraints on what God can do. And so I think a lot of times we think, or probably talk ourselves out of when God's actually communicating.
communicating with you. He couldn't really do it this way. He couldn't do it through a secular book or a secular song. It's got to be, you know, it has to have been a praise song or something mm -hmm. like that. Okay. So you think he can speak through other kinds of music? I think he can speak any way he wants to. <laughs> it could be through a person. It could be through something you see, something you hear, something you read. <laughs> right. Times people mention is, and it's kind of alluded to here, is circumstances. <laughs> Things happen, and and we believe that's the way God's communicating with us. I I believe that's that's true. That God can speak to us any way He chooses. I believe God is speaking to us a whole lot more than than we're hearing or understanding. Or paying attention. Yeah. yeah. I believe he's wanting to communicate with us in lots of different ways and is communicating with us in lots of different ways. And 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 if we'll pay attention, uh, we'll hear things from him that, you know, maybe don't always fit the pattern of what we thought it's supposed to be. But when we look back on it, we realize that was God. And a lot of the ways that we hear, that we learn how to hear the voice of God and understand what He's speaking to us is in hindsight. Because at the time we kind of doubted it. But then later on we look back and go, oh yeah, that, that was the Lord saying that to me. And now I understand it. And so now I'm learning something about how to recognize His voice. I, I believe that... <clears throat> That spirit-to-spirit -spirit communication is really what he wants us to grow in. I think a lot of times these things are ways to get our attention and to steer us because we're not tuned in to his spirit-to-spirit -spirit communication with us. So he's using other means to just get our attention and help direct us. And that's okay, you know, but... What I want in my life is more of that spirit-to-spirit -spirit connection and communication to where he doesn't have to use the megaphone of a, you know, the circumstance or something to, to get my attention, like, steer me this way. I wasn't listening to him telling me I need to go this way. So finally he had to arrange all these things in my life so that I would go this way. You know what I mean? Whereas if I'd been listening, I would have heard him say, go that way. But I'm not listening. So what I want to cultivate is that ability, that discipline of being so connected and close to him that he can whisper in, into me what he wants to say. And he doesn't have to get out the megaphone of some other means to try to get my attention. And, and I feel like, you know, there are no coincidences. Um, and, and that's kind of how I've 
approached it with my my daughters. I mean, I can I can hear I'll be driving, and you know how you just kind of your mind is elsewhere, and I hear a stop or you know watch out, and it's a near miss, and I'm like, oh, thank you, Lord, you know, thank your angels, and thank you. It's um, I don't I don't think they're coincidences. I think that you know a lot of those are are God. And uh, let's look at Revelation chapter three verse twenty. This isn't in your notes either, so you might want to jot it down by that page. It says practical steps to meditation. And I would also add in front of step one. Put right just above that, do you believe that you can hear God? I think that's the first question that you need to answer in order to begin the journey of understanding biblical meditation is to really believe that the God of the universe, the God who made you, the God who made everything, remember the God that Gary showed us the cosmos, right? And then all the way down to the microscope and the DNA, that God wants to talk to you about something today that's important in your life. Right? Do you believe that? Revelation 3.20 Somebody got that? So the context of this is Okay, we'll just read the verse first and then I'll I'll talk about it. Who hasn't read yet? That wants to read. Okay? Here Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Mm-hmm. Eating is just a big deal with God, isn't it? <laughs> I love it. We're going to do a lot of eating in the future. But but it makes total sense, especially in a Middle Eastern context, which is, you know, the Bible is a Middle Eastern book. And eating is communing. Eating is fellowship. Eating is relationship. Eating is friendship. Eating is all eating is all those things. We don't think about eating quite so much the same in the West, but in Middle Eastern context, eating is fellowship and relationship. When you think but, about barbecues. Bar- okay, Texas barbecue. <laughs> but this is Jesus. Now, who's he talking to? Here. How many of you have ever seen a picture of this verse of Jesus standing at a door? Do we have one? Yes, there's not one there. No, of Jesus standing at a door knocking, and then this verse is quoted underneath it. Yeah. How many of you understood that that what what that verse was was communicating was that Jesus was knocking on the hearts of a person to accept Him as their Lord and Savior. In other words, who was on the other side of the door? A believer or a non-believer? A non-believer. A non-believer. That's, that's the way I understood it. Is that who he's talking to here? He's talking to believers. He's talking to the church at Laodicea. He's talking to Christians. He's talking to us. People who've already accepted him. And he's saying, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with him and he with me. He's saying he wants this kind of fellowship with you. Yeah, of course he wants it. He wants ultimately with a non-believer too, right? He's, he wants to draw non-believers to him, but for what reason? For this. 
But what he's saying, what this verse is saying, is that as Christians, we can be on the other side of the door, and we're not communing, we're not eating, fellowshipping. So, first of all, do we believe that that is possible, and that's what God wants? Secondly, so practical steps. First, pray for the desire and the grace to meditate. And in faith, believing that God will meet with us and speak to us. Determine that you're going to persevere in the discipline of meditation. Guys, th- this is not going to be something that you can you do in a, in a week or two, okay? This is something that's going to take a lifetime of practice. I mean, that's why it's, it's a discipline. It's something that we learn into our lives. And it's also something you can step away from. Just because you've had a season of success in meditation doesn't mean that now... For the rest of your life, you're going to be able, you know, to commune with God, right? It's you can step away, and you're going to have to relearn some things. It's just like it's a relationship, guys. This is a real person to us. It's a it's a person to person, spirit to spirit relationship. Just like your think of any relationship you're in, your marriage relationship. I mean, you guys have to work at it, right? And if you don't keep working at it. It's going to suffer, right? Just because you you have good communication now doesn't mean in two years you're still going to have good communication, right? It's the same in our relationship with God. It's something that that we continue to work on and persevere. Prioritize your schedule. So set aside a specific time for contemplation, prayer, and meditation. I suggest you start with at least 20 minutes a day. And it's got to be a part of your day that you can fully devote yourself to conversation with God. I say 20 minutes because I think that's a good starting point. If you say, I'm going to start off with an hour of meditation, you know, and you set that as your goal that you've got to start off with, you're probably going to give up after about three days. Because you're going to have a hard time. The discipline is something that you learn and grow in. So start with something that's easy. If 20 minutes is too long, shorten it. That's okay. Say 10 minutes. Ten minutes of solid biblical meditation will make a huge difference in your life if you can do that. But I, 20 minutes I like because I like to have 10 minutes of just worship, of maybe listening to a praise song or two, of, of just letting worship music prepare my spirit. Oh, that's good, okay? too. And also, <laughs> that time is also a time when I can then confess what I need to confess, Right? and make sure that there's nothing hindering my relationship. The next 10 minutes, I want to read His Word. I want to look into His Word and and read a section of it. Okay? And then the next 10 minutes, I want to meditate. I want to let the written Word and the living Word speak to me. So think deeply on what I've read and then ask Jesus, through His Holy Spirit, to also speak into my heart whatever else he wants me to, to know. Now, where's prayer? Okay. After that, then I think you'll know what you need to pray about. But see, I don't think it's good to go into your quiet time with your prayer list. Do ten do five or ten minutes of worship and then just start into your prayer list. And then finish up with, well, I got well, I can do five minutes of, you know. What's the, what's the proverb for today? Oh, it's the 22nd. I'll read Proverbs 22, you know, and read a quick chapter somewhere and then go. I, I don't. I just don't think that's a good method. 
I do, I do think it's good to work through Scripture. So even if you're taking a small piece, make sure that you're working through something. Okay, like, like take the book of Matthew. Okay, we'll just start reading through Matthew. But take it in, in little pieces. Don't, don't give yourself that, okay, I've got to read the first five chapters of the book of Matthew you know, in my quiet time. So that I can get through this book this month or whatever. Don't, it's not a to do list. Yourself, it's right. It's 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 something that God can speak in two verses. He can speak in one verse. He can speak in a word of a verse. So take little pieces and meditate deeply on those. Okay, getting ahead of ourselves a little bit here, but so the main thing for number two there is to prioritize your schedule and set aside a specific time. You will eventually need more than twenty minutes. But that's okay. Start with something small and manageable and then let it grow. If you don't prioritize your schedule, it's not going to happen. Okay? Just life is going to get in the way. The enemy is, is a master of keeping us busy and distracted. Mm-hmm. So, And just our own human nature. He doesn't even have to do that much work because our own human nature says, you know, stay busy. Um, third, find the right setting. Quiet place, no interruptions, few distractions. Um, don't lie on the bed <laughs> for this. <laughs> You'll go to sleep. Even kneeling on kneeling beside the bed can be dangerous if your head is on the pillow, you know. <laughs> A little bit uncomfortable position, but not too much is good. Something that's going to keep you awake and alert but isn't going to be a distraction to you. Actually, kneeling is a great position if you can find a good spot in your bedroom to kneel. Or uh, or sitting in a chair, a hardback chair maybe, or something that that's, you know, is, is going to keep you alert. But position is important. I like kneeling because kneeling puts me in a posture of worship. It just already starts to humble me because my body is... <laughs> My body is in a humble position, and it helps my spirit follow. I am getting ready to commune with God. You're surrendering. (laughs) Right? I mean, Revelation should have an immediate response of worship. So kneeling is helpful for that. Number four, clear your mind of distractions. This is a toughie. Uh, because again, we are built to be just constantly going 100 miles a minute in our minds. Um, but meditation really, really, really is key on being able to take out of your mind the things that are going to keep you from focusing on what God may be speaking to you. So, uh, like it says, Psalm 46, there be still and know that I am God progressively release those things that are weighing on your mind. Surrender them to God, talking to Him about each one and verbally turning them over to His control. Take your time, don't rush. Ask Him to show you other things that are holding onto that need to be released. The, the good thing about this problem of easily being distracted is that you can turn the tables on the enemy and take every distraction and turn it into a prayer and release it. So everything that comes into your mind that's distracting you once you recognize, oh no, you know, I've just spent the last five minutes thinking about the meeting I'm going to have later today with my boss, okay? Say, Lord, I confess to you that I have spent the last five minutes thinking about this meeting instead instead of meditating. 
Lord, I just confess that I'm stressed and anxious about this meeting. I don't know how it's going to go. I need your help. Would you please help me in this meeting with my boss? Give me the words to say. Help me to, you know, whatever the prayer, you turn it into a prayer. Now, the enemy wanted you to get distracted by making you anxious and stressed out about the meeting. Instead, now, you're praying about the meeting. He doesn't want you to pray about the meeting, right? So you do that with everything that comes along. The next distracting thought, you know, the fight you just had with your spouse, okay? And you're going, that's all you're thinking about. Okay, Lord, I confess that I've just been thinking about the argument we had. I'm sorry, Lord, about that, and I realize, man, I just reacted wrongly there. And you may need to just get up and go talk to your spouse, okay? And confess it and make it right. The enemy doesn't want you to do that. He just wants you to fret over and be distracted by the argument. I hope she'd so show his face. <clears throat> then you can just kind of rip his head apart and be done with it. <laughs> be well, nice. It's just so easily to get rid of the enemy. Yeah. Well, he's he's honed tactics over the years. So take every distraction that comes along and turn it into a prayer and release it. And then you're done with it. Okay, you've prayed about it, let it go. And then get back to the business of what God may be saying to you in His Word or in His in your spirit. So, number five, after releasing, prepare to receive. Become silent outwardly and inwardly. Be attentive to the living God and His Holy Spirit within you. If your mind wanders, release that concern to the Lord and return to a centered, still mind focused on the goodness of God. Receive His love for you, His peace, His comfort. Listen carefully for His voice, speaking softly in your mind. Scriptures may come to your mind. Repeat them verbally and think through them. Concentrate, Contemplate how they, can, how they apply to you today. What may God be saying to you? And then also, don't worry if nothing happens. In other words... It's not as if some sort of, you know, magical message is supposed to come to you during these times. Remember, God is sometimes content just that we're sitting with Him. Do you ever want to just sit on a couch with your friend or your spouse and not necessarily have a deep conversation? Well, God is like that too. There's nothing wrong with just sitting together, being quiet with each other. Okay, So don't expect that every time you finally are in a place to meditate that God has to somehow bring some immense, earth-shattering spiritual nugget you know, <laughs> to you. Right? He may or he may not. That's up to him. So don't worry if it doesn't seem like there's much going on. Continue the, the practice of the discipline. There's so much in Scripture about waiting on the Lord, right? Uh, Psalm 62, 1. Um, Psalm 135 and 6. Uh, just do a word study on waiting on the Lord. This would be good for you too. Just to know that there's times when God God wants us, just when we don't have answers, He just wants us to wait on Him because His answer will eventually come. And are we, are we patient? Are we willing to? To, to still pursue Him, to still love Him, to still worship Him and honor Him, even when we're not receiving the answer that we, that we think we should have, or that even when it doesn't seem like He's there. Okay, uh, 
Number six, after you've practiced the above for a while, add more time to your meditation schedule and include some specific meditations on certain subjects. I suggest beginning with a short passage of scripture. Now remember, if you're for biblical meditation, this is not this is not Bible study, okay? Biblical meditation with scripture is not Bible study. We're not trying to exegete passages, we're not trying to get to the you know the Greek or the Hebrew behind every word. There's a place for that. I'm not discounting that. I'm not saying don't ever do that. What I'm saying is in biblical meditation, the goal isn't to analyze and take apart the passage. The goal is to let the passage impact your life for what it says. And let God, through His Holy Spirit, speak to you through that passage. Let it have an impact on you. So, um, think of the think of scriptures as not something to be analyzed or taken apart, but as the Word of God for you that day. Okay, I'll talk about the imagination here. A helpful tool is your imagination. Put yourself in the passage. See it in your mind's eye. Try to feel the emotions, hear the sounds, smell and even taste what's happening. <clears throat> Dwell on the passage. Ponder it in your heart. So this isn't. This is a, an area that, that can be a little bit strange for people, especially like for me, I wasn't used to doing this. But I really believe that the that God has given us imagination as a tool. God has blessed us with imagination. But we don't, we don't see imagination as a, as a scriptural thing, right? Usually we're being told to guard our imagination, right? To rein it in, to keep it in control all the time. And where have you ever heard that we're supposed to use our imagination to glorify God? But actually, when you think about it, imagination is a really powerful tool that God's given us. Do you know how Jesus taught a lot of his spiritual truths and teachings? Pictures. Parables. Right. What's the point of a parable? A parable is a story, right? Why did Jesus teach in stories? Because we can relate to it. And what happens when somebody starts telling a story, what, what goes on in your mind? Start imagining it. You see it, right? Visualizing it. You start visualizing the story. A lot of, yeah. Then that happened when even a preacher is preaching, right? You can lay out all kinds of spiritual truth, but then when when he switches to a story, something something else happens. Suddenly you can picture the story, you're visualizing things, and, and it makes more sense in your mind. The spiritual truth becomes more applicable in your mind because now you can picture it. It sticks. It was hard to picture before as just a theoretical statement. But as a story, you can now picture it. And it stays with you, right? So Jesus knew the power of imagination. That's that's why he's given us imagination, so that we can relate and hold on to things and, and understand them in a way that we can't if we don't have an imagination. So meditation, imagination can actually be a great tool when you meditate. When I, med- when I meditate on the, on God's good greatness and His glory, when I just want to have a meditation of what God is like, I look for passages of Scripture that describe God 
and then I let my imagination run wild okay, with that. I picture God in those passages. There's wonderful passages in Ezekiel, you know, in Isaiah, in Revelation, about what God looks like. I understand we can't totally know exactly what He looks like, but, but there is enough revealed in Scripture that we can picture the throne room of God and enough about Him. Read Revelation. I mean, you cannot read Revelation without a vivid imagination. It's, it's amazing. So I, I use my imagination to help me visualize and enter God's throne room when I want to do a meditation on the greatness and holiness of God. So don't, don't shy away from using your imagination. And when, when our kids were small, we, when we would do road trips, we would pop in an Odyssey tape. Some of you all are familiar with Odyssey, right? It's, it's a radio series. I don't think it's going on anymore. I don't know, is it? But you can go online and stuff. You can go online and hear it. Okay. So our whole family was captured by this Odyssey series, which is put on by Focus on the Family, I think. Mm-hmm. And, and it's all audio, so that you never saw it. You know, it wasn't video. So you just listened to the stories, and they had different characters. Every one of us built in our minds, you know, a picture of every character and every scene. And then all these things would happen, and we were just captivated. We. I mean, a, a, an eight-hour road trip would go by, it seemed like, you know, a couple hours because we were listening to Odyssey tapes. So there, there's value in being able to harness our imagination. And I think God really wants us wants us to do that. Um, it, it is something that we need to train ourselves with, right? So think about how God wants you to get your imagination engaged in biblical meditation. Okay, and then end up, number seven, end up by thanking God for what He's shown you, for being who He is. Submit yourself once again to His Lordship and ask Him for help in making the changes He's revealing to you. So always finish by by worship, by thanking God, by acknowledging who you are, and by asking Him to begin that transformation process in your life. He's probably revealed something to you in this time that, that... needs to be worked on and so commit that to the Lord and then I don't have this on here so you would need to write down number 8 it's very important it's what Kathy alluded to earlier write it in the journal when God speaks to you and he will speak to you during these times he will put words into your mind into your spirit he'll bring scripture passages to you he may bring a song he may do a number of these different things, something that the pastor said last Sunday. Maybe different ways, but there's going to be times when he just speaks. And it's just words that are dropped into your heart that relate. Write it down in a journal. Don't, don't, don't just say, okay, I'll remember that and then leave because you won't. No. You've got to write it down. So always have a journal nearby. And when God speaks, write it down. Even if you're not sure, this is another great way to just grow in faith. If you kind of think maybe this is what God is saying, but you're not really sure, go ahead and write it down. Write the date down. And maybe even a note like waiting for confirmation or not sure or whatever. Maybe God said, uh, because later on you're going to go back and read the journal and you'll be able to, to learn you know, was that God or wasn't it? And, and that's how you begin to understand the voice of God and recognize 
how he speaks to you. And I think he speaks to, to people, each of us, in a, in a slightly different way. I think he speaks to you in your own unique language, using words and phrases and examples that fit just you. Okay? I think God's so creative in how he wants to talk to you. And I'm convinced that he wants to communicate with you way more than you understand right now today. Way more. And he has a unique love language with you that will make sense as you get closer. So what are the obstacles to meditation? You can jot these down under that number eight. Busyness. You guys know these. Busyness. Constant outside input. You know, we're, we're so busy, we don't take the time to just quiet ourselves and listen. We, we always... What happens when I, when I get in, the, in, in my truck and start driving somewhere? I still do this. What's the, one of the first things I do? Turn on the radio. Turn on the radio. I, I want constant input. Try driving sometime. Peace and quiet. In, in total quiet and say, Lord, can we just talk while I'm driving? And just be quiet. Just be quiet. And just wait and see if he wants to say anything. Even before, don't say, Lord, can we talk? And man, I really, you know, and just launch into all the things that are on your brain right then. Okay? Just just be quiet. Let him do just talk. Let him, right, let him speak if he wants to. Maybe he'll say, turn on the radio and go to channel such and such. I don't know. He might. If he does, then do that. That may be how he's going to speak to you. Don, that's yeah. really true in our culture, too. Our culture is the opposite of that. It's like all noise and technology and face and texting and everything but quiet. Mm-hmm. You know, everything but quiet. The opposite of it. Right. Well, yeah, our culture, yeah, that's a whole other topic. It's the enemy strategy. Uh, it is. I think it is being used by the enemy to, to keep us distracted. We, we value um, information, so we want to be constantly have information at our fingertips. Okay, so busyness, constant outside input, anxiety. Anxiety is another big obstacle. You know, we're stressed, we're worried, and instead of releasing it to the Lord, we just fret over it. So we spend our whole 20-minute quiet time fretting, you know, over whatever it is that, that's bothering us, you know, that that broken relationship or, you know, that thing that didn't go well. Uh, we just we just let anxiety consume us. What do we need to do? We need to turn it into a prayer and release it to God and then just be still, be quiet. The other obstacle is, is really unbelief. Just thinking that really I can't hear God's voice, that He doesn't He doesn't really want to talk to me. Guys, this can creep in, okay? Especially if if you're if you know that you haven't been following him closely and you're and you're trying to draw back to him, the enemy can can speak lies to you, which is, you know, you're not worthy of God really speaking to you. What you think you you think you can hear the voice of God? I mean, these are lies from the enemy. So these are obstacles that we need to recognize and deal with, and call them out for what they are, which is lies. So Second Corinthians ten five. Can somebody look that up? Second Corinthians ten five. 
I'll read that. Second Corinthians 10, 5. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedience to Christ. Right. This, this is warfare, okay? This is real spiritual warfare. We are taking every thought captive. Biblical meditation involves a lot of warfare. Because the enemy is going to try to cut you down and stop you from, from this. He's going to try to throw all kinds of things at you. Distracting thoughts, lying thoughts, even good thoughts, okay, that aren't the best thoughts. It's to keep you off track from what, you know, that the purpose is, which is to be quiet, to let God speak to you. So, really, we need to understand that if we're going to do this, we're going to have to go on the offensive we can't just be on the defensive. We've got to go on the offensive here and really make it an act of our will that we're going to meditate. This needs to be something that we pursue with our whole heart and our will. We can't just be passive about it and say, okay, you know, since meditation is receiving, is listening, then I don't need to really put that much work into it. Guys, this is going to be something you're going to have to really, really work hard at because everything about it is contrary to, to what you naturally or normally in your flesh would, would do and what the enemy is going to throw at you. Okay. Alright. I have... I'm going to run through these closing thoughts and then we'll just take it a few minutes for, for some comments. Um, is it on the next page? Richard Foster's yeah. suggestions about meditations? Yeah. yeah. Take it or leave it here. He, you know, he has ideas that uh, different ways to practice this. You can meditate on some aspect of nature. I think somebody brought that up earlier about nature uh, and what it reveals about God. You can also uh, meditate on current events and see God's perspective on their significance. So, uh, it's meditation isn't necessarily always going to be centered on a verse or passage of scripture. As you grow in this discipline, you can actually meditate on different things. Remember that meditation is communing converse, conversation with God. Okay, Meditation is not Bible study. Bible study is something different. It's good. You still need to do it. Meditation is not prayer. Okay, Prayer is still good. Prayer, we need to do prayer. I'm not discounting either of those. What I'm saying is we've never added meditation in to our spiritual disciplines, and that's what we need to do. Meditation is letting God speak to you. So it may be that you use Scripture to open the gate, so to speak, to open the door, open that door so Jesus can come in and commune with you, but it may not be Scripture. It may be something else. It may be nature. It may be something that's happening currently that you just are asking the Lord. Lord, is there anything you want to say to me about this? Um, and then as you as you grow in this process, meditation is also going to become something that you don't confine to a certain time of the day where, okay, that's my quiet time, my biblical meditation time. Pretty soon the goal is that this is something that you walk in all day long so that wherever you are, whatever's going on around you, you can you learn now the discipline of quieting your mind, getting rid of distractions, 
and listening, tuning in, drawing close to your shepherd and just listening to what he has to say. So it could happen anywhere. It could happen in a business meeting at work when you need God to speak, you know, or or when it would sure be nice if God would speak to you right right now. Well, are you listening? It could be in the evening instead of watching, you know, a TV program. Let's just have some time we're being quiet and letting God speak to us. So I think you start with a set time during the day, a set schedule, and you and you begin the practice, you begin the discipline, and you learn it. But then as you grow in this, incorporate it into your life more and more so that you begin to be able to have a conversational relationship with God all through the day. And the, the, the beauty is when, when you are somewhere and you haven't done all the things you normally do to get ready to meditate, and yet God draws into you and just speaks to you in that moment, and you hear His voice. That's, that's exciting, because you, you recognize, wow, the God of the universe is with me all the time, and He just said something to me that, that He knows I need to hear. That is so special. Um, actually it's interesting because Meredith was in the house of prayer and that happened uh, the Lord we were we were spending some time in prayer there and um, and the Lord just put a spoke to me where I heard his voice and he speaks to me where there's sentences or words or phrases that, that just kind of get dropped into my mind or my heart I I mean, it's just there. And I know that it's Him. It's not just something that I just thought of on my own. Because it just kind of comes out of nowhere. nowhere. Um, And so the Lord did that while we were in the house of prayer to have me look at a certain passage of Scripture. And so I I looked it up and read it. And it didn't have any special meaning to me at all. Uh, And I didn't exactly know. It didn't seem to fit with the context of what we were talking about. And... Uh, and then later on, somebody came forward in that prayer meeting and and talked about their situation and said, "This is what's going on, and, and I'm really seeking wisdom, and I I, I want y'all to pray for me, and, and I, I want to know what the Lord wants me to do about this particular s- situation." And immediately, the Lord said, "These verses are for him." And so I read those verses to them, and it fit perfectly what that person needed to hear. So when it's when those things happen that you, you realize how wonderful it is to have this kind of communing relationship with God. I mean, He knows everything that's going on, and He's talking to people all the time and giving words of encouragement, and He's going to use you to do that. He's going to speak into your spirit, and it might not always be for you. It might be because he wants you to share something with somebody else. So uh, we were praying for Gary going to China a few weeks back, and and I and the Lord did the same thing. He said, um, he said, read Psalm sixty-one, you know, ten and eleven. And I thought, oh. so I read it, and it was like, it's like, uh, why, why do these verses, Lord, why do these verses have? Have anything to do with Gary's trip to China? Um, see Isaiah sixty-one. Isaiah or Psalm? Isaiah sixty-one. 
Did I say Psalm? Yeah. Sorry. Isaiah 61. Uh, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, there's that metaphor again of the garden, right? So the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. And then, so then, uh, we're praying for Gary, and I'm asking, Lord, why... What is it about these verses? And he just spoke those words into me and said, because Gary's going to the underground church. <laughs> so he gave me verses about sprouts coming up out of the ground, about how God works in the soil and brings sprouts up that result in righteousness and praise before all the nations. And I really, I had to laugh because it was kind of funny. It was like, oh, the underground church, okay. <laughs> You know, because Gary's going to China to, to teach pastors in the underground. And we call it the underground church because they're not recognized by the government of China, right? But God was just kind of being humorous with me by giving me verses that had to do with underground things. Cool. So it's, there's little things about how God's going to speak to you that are, that are going to be just unique in your, in your language with Him, in your communion with Him. And that's... Uh, that is a uh, that is something that each each of you are going to navigate as you as you practice this discipline. So don't get discouraged. We're going to close up here on meditation. Don't get discouraged if nothing seems to be happening. God values perseverance, and He does promise to meet with us if we faithfully and earnestly seek Him. Right in Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen, there and look that verse up. God rewards those who seek Him. There's something about us pursuing God and, and seeking Him that He values. I don't understand it all, but that's why I think He's silent sometimes. That's why I think He takes so long sometimes on things. He really he values us persevering and seeking Him. But He does promise that we will find Him if we seek Him with all of our heart. So insights are going to come as you meditate. Don't be surprised if they're very practical and relate to very average things that are going on in your life at the time. Uh, This is something that really was surprising, and I've talked to people that that have affirmed that this is also how God speaks to them. You know, you've got your Bible open, you've worshipped, you're hearing the Lord, and and what you hear is is something like, uh, uh, when you go into work, you know, Say some, say such and such to so and so, and you're like, "What is that?" But you write it down and then follow through with it. I mean, God is so practical about how He's going to talk to you about what to do. So, so don't be shocked if what you sense you're hearing from God, it just seems so ordinary. You know, it it might be making a turn while you're driving, which could be. Avoiding a disaster, right? Uh, it might be, I want you to call so-and-so. So pick up the phone and call. I mean, it doesn't have to be something like, you know, I am God and, and I am majestic, worship me. 
mean, it may not be something grand or super spiritual. It, it could be super ordinary. Yeah. Well, um, that that's happened to me. My my cohort at work, um, they're having to deal with putting her dad in a nursing home or something, and uh, and so I felt like the Lord wanted me to. Um, get her the names and numbers of some people who might be able to help her uh, financially or you know whatever and um, and then when I went in and I was talking to one of those people and I said has she called you yet he said no he's like and, and I told him a little bit and he's like oh and he got this packet from this um, Medicaid attorney and he gave it to me for her and he said this is probably who she really would do best talking to. And and I gave it to her, and I offered to pay the consultation fee. And um, and I didn't think any more about it until later. And then yesterday, she called me, and she was just, you know, thrilled, not just with the information, but she went, and they're helping her to salvage some things, you know, um, to, to help pay for that whereas she would have just lost everything you know without that information right. and that help and that's that's the way life is supposed to work guys this is this is supposed to be the ordinary Christian life experience that we can be this tuned in to the Lord that he can speak to his people and we serve one another love one another help each other out do he's he, he's the orchestrator and navigator of all these things right? We just need to be listening and, and obeying. So, and then I, I repeat here, begin a journal. Um, write down what you believe God's saying to you. Don't get hung up on the imagination aspect. Um, meditation is the means by which we learn to look at the things which are eternal, which are not seen, which are eternal. And eventually meditation will be an event that you do... Uh, that you don't do just at a certain time of the day, but a way of living and growing and walking by the Spirit. So you will begin to hear God's voice. John 10 says, My sheep hear my sheep know my voice. And uh, we as his sheep will begin to know and recognize the voice of God. I'm going to finish with a list of char- what I would call characteristics or attributes of the voice of God. This is not in your notes either, so you might want to jot, jot these down. But over the years, <laughs> I started writing a list down to try to describe what I thought it felt like and, or sounded like or seemed like when God was speaking to me. Because I, I began to notice that there were certain characteristics that were common about it. Um, so one is that it's peaceful. Lou, you talked about this, that there's a, a peace that you have in you that you can tell this is the Lord. So when God speaks to you, it's it's usually peaceful. I would also say it's usually quiet. You guys remember the passage? Where is it? I, I thought I had it written down here of Elijah going out and and the storm came by and the thunder and the lightning and God wasn't in the storm and God wasn't in the lightning and then there was a still small voice. Where is that? I thought I had that on here. 
I'll look it up and, and get it for you. Uh, it's like Second Kings. Anyway, um, so I, I've just found that God's voice is usually calm and quiet. It's not usually, I don't know, forceful. It's usually peaceful and quiet. It's usually very simple or, or uh, succinct. How do you spell succinct? I think it's that. Succinct meaning straight to the point and precise, but yet not real complex or complicated. I'll also add with this profound. First Kings. First Kings. 19.12. First Kings 19.12. Why don't you read that? After the fire, let's see, after the, after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire, a still small voice. Yeah. And this is, this is Elijah after he's <coughs> been, become very discouraged because the king is Ahaz, I can't remember. Is, is killing all the prophets and he, you know, he's crying out to God saying God I'm the only one left you know, woe is me and so God says well come out to the rock and stand there before me and then all these things happen and, and yet God's not in the big and dramatic and then it's the still small voice and God is in that it's a lesson to Elijah of several things but one of them is Elijah I'm not, I'm not in the big and dramatic, you know. Don't look for some, don't 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 say that I have to be somehow big and dramatic for you right now, because I'm in a relationship with you. We're talking back and forth. That's that's the point of that. Okay. Uh, it's also pure, clean, and holy. There's a, there's a real cleanness to the voice of God. I don't know how else to describe it. There's a purity about the words that He's going to drop into your spirit, the, the things He's going to say to you. Maybe comforting? Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, it's also accepting. Never condemning. Okay, if you think you're hearing a, from God and it's some kind of condemnation, I can guarantee you you're not hearing from God. You might be hearing your own voice, okay, condemning you because you know you've just blown it. And and I'm not saying that God is never going to point out sin or or you know things that need to change in your life. I'm not saying that at all. But He always does it in an accepting way. Always does it in an accepting, never in a condemning way. It's always, you know, oh, this needs to change. And I'm going to give you the strength to change. You know, it's always in an accepting tone that God speaks to us. It will also never contradict God's Word. I'll say the written Word. Okay? God is not going to say something to you that, that contradicts what is in Scripture. Because Scripture is His Word and He doesn't contradict Himself. 
It's also, I mentioned this already, very practical. And it usually, it's usually very personal and fits you. He knows you. He made you. He knows what your personality is like. He knows the things you like. He may speak to you in terms of your favorite ice cream flavor, you know? You know? I mean, that's just, that's totally God. Yeah. You will recognize his voice when you hear it. Yes. Yeah. It takes time, that's, but you will. Um, and then the last one I have down here is it's, it's fatherly. This is a relationship, and he said that he's our Heavenly Father, and so he, we're his children, and that's oftentimes the way that, that we hear his voice is, is with that fatherly tone. I'm not talking about the mean father you may have had. I'm talking about the good father that he is. Okay? Okay. All right. There's, there's these other pages that, that you can read about worship and prayer and study but I'm not going to take the time to go over those um, I, I just want to hear from you a little bit maybe about some of the uh, some of the ways that you believe God has spoken to you and what, what it sounded like what it felt like how he, how he communicated to you let's just take it Take a few of those, and then we'll, we'll let out early. One thing that I wanted to mention, Don, is um, you know I mentioned before that I think God meets us as like our point of abuse, and I think that one of the reasons potentially why you know sometimes we might be seeking Him for an answer or praying for a direction and we don't hear anything is because you know, perhaps He wants to dig deeper and search harder, mm-hmm. and. You know, uh, Oswald Chambers has this, has a quote that he says, "Prayer is an action of will," and I like that because I think that really, you know, if we're intentional about seeking God because we really want an answer, then we'll we'll you know we'll um, spend the time, we'll arrange our day, we'll make it happen because we make whatever happen that we want to happen. So the question is, how intent are is our heart about knowing God? How much do we want to know the will of God? I think sometimes God will allow us to, to have quiet and not hear the word until we've delved in close enough to where we've really sought Him and really desired Him. And He can see our intent of our heart is truly <coughs> in communion and know the will of God. And then He meets us at that point of abundance. Remember, too, that God doesn't want us seeking Him for what He can do for us. Okay? What does he want? Why does he want us seeking him? Because we love him. Right. So we, so we can deepen that love relationship with him, right? And glorify him in the process. It's not about solving our problem, although that that will happen. But it's it's more than just yes, I want you to commune with me so that I can solve your problem. No, I want you to commune with me because I love you and I want this relationship with you. I want to speak to you and tell you things. And oh yeah, in the process, we're gonna we're gonna deal with this stuff. Yeah. Somebody else? Um, I was just gonna say, uh, sometimes for me it's been um, I was asking for something, but when it had to do, I had an urgency and 
having to do with, I guess, ministry to someone else, you know, or I found myself in a position where I wasn't prepared <laughs> for ministry, like, like when I was in fellowship a while ago, and I was going to be a mentor for three women, and suddenly realized I'm quite young, I'm going to be going in to meet with some older women, but I hadn't really thought about how I'm going to be received, and why am I in any position to do this? And so I suddenly realized I need to spend time with God and prepare my heart for this, even if I have no idea what I'm going to say, you know. And then I found, even when I, the days when I went in and I didn't have a plan, I think God was just honored that I sought him for that, and, and he He spoke to them somehow. Right. And it wasn't me, but I mean, that, that I felt God's love through that, because left and would be smiling all day or all week, you know, just because that was kind of a new thing for me to experience God using me in that way. And then there there's been little other times where a co-worker where it felt like our conversations were not healthy. He was, you know, I didn't like the way they were going and I was like, God, how do I, how do I get out of this situation where I'm meeting these people for lunch and I don't like these conversations? You know, and like, just helped me in this next time, and it was awkward. And I just, he just helped me to calm down for a moment, just speak honestly about something, and the whole conversation changed. And it wasn't like it shut down the conversation; it was an opportunity, you know. So it's just sometimes I think having when we're not just forward, I don't know, looking to minister to other people or something, there's opportunities. Oftentimes, it, it is when we're when we're speaking, when we're needing to speak into somebody's life, is when God really does show us what to say at those times. And and what's fun is then being able to see that that was the Lord speaking through me to them. He can do that. Yeah. Yes. I was having some meal at uh, like McDonald's or someplace. And I was sitting alone, and I really don't like to eat alone. And I kept looking at this one guy, and he was just looking off into space. And the longer I stayed, the more I realized he was just looking. And when I came by, I said, on my way out, I said, you look like you're worried about something, and whatever it is, God will be with you. And God will sustain you, and God will give you the answers. And he just said, oh, my word, how much I needed that. You know, it was, I don't usually yeah. go up to people like that. Yeah. Well, see, you were courageous. You you understood that the Lord had something to say through you to him, and you risked it. And that's good. That, that, that is part of this whole journey of knowing that God has is speaking to us and through us. And if you don't risk it, you'll never know. You know, you won't know whether that was really the Lord speaking to you. But you did it, and then he was obviously confirming that that is what God wanted him to hear. So it's that's yeah. It's we exciting. one time we one time received a card, and the card said, "Your actions and what you do." are an inspiration to me and it was from somebody that 
we didn't know well and had no idea anybody was looking. And we just never know who may be looking at how we are living and what we're doing. So. Tell a quick little story. Mm -hmm. I just let y'all know my wife's the best thing that's ever happened to me, I think. But uh, a long time ago, my life was very different. And um, I was living in Arlington, but I was about to possibly move to Austin. And I was looking for you know, confirmation from God. I was, like, really desperate. You know, I was, like, just seeking anything, you know, just, like, listening as hard as I could. And I went to go eat the day before I decided to, you know, stay or move. And uh, there was this guy who was just cleaning the tables. I looked at him. He looked at me. He said, hey, how you doing or whatever? And he's like... Well, I'll see you next time. We had a little conversation. He said, I'll see you the next time you're in here. And I was thinking, you know, if I left, how could I see him again? You know, so I just held on to that. And then uh, not too long later, she came into my life. And uh, I was very grateful that I stayed. If not, if I'd have moved to Austin, I'd have never met her. So who knows where I'd be today. So, yeah, this a little story. You better write that down, too, so you can... Tell your kids and your grandkids. It's written right here. <laughs> yeah. I think that God tells us things in our spirit that He wants us to share with other people, and He makes them so personal and so memorable that we have joy about it, and He can help tell other people. Even if you're not one to normally be outspoken about mm -hmm. your faith, just can't help say it. But you've got to hear what he told me. Right. You've got to hear this. Right. It's a, a wonderful tool that he uses for right. those of us who are maybe a little reluctant to speak. Yeah. It's very faith-building, too, if you share with others what, what God has said to you. I mean, even just my story, hopefully will inspire faith in, in you all, too. In, in fact, when I meet with guys that are out of work, that have either just lost a job or something's happened... I tell them my story because I want them to know that there might be an even greater purpose that God has them out of work right now. And that is for them to spend time seeking Him and having, I would have never had those blocks of time to really dive into God's Word and learn what it means to meditate if I hadn't quit my job. Well, maybe you didn't quit your job, but God still moved you into a season where you're not working. And, and what happens with guys is they just immediately move into the mode of I've got to find work and they stress over it and they spend all of their time and energy trying to get that next job. And my advice to, to them always is, okay, before you start the work of finding your next job, take a season to seek the Lord. And I tell them, you know, my story and, what, and give them some encouragement to do what I did because it, it was so, it was, I grew unbelie unbelievably during that time. But, you know, that, so you've got to go kind of counter against what normally happened the way guys think. Yeah, so that's that's very true. I think to being um, available to share other people's experiences. Um, for this week, for instance, I had a friend stop by, and I was just sharing what was going on at the CERB week that our youth had mm -hmm. just worked in with uh, Mission Arlington. And my daughter, who's 15, was sharing the um, Bible stories each day for her group of 11 kids at this apartment complex and and she had come to me and said you know I'm sharing and I'm, I'm speaking on this and she said I'm not real familiar with this parable and and so as I was explaining it to my friend I mean tears were coming to her eyes because it's exactly the words that she needed to hear but 
-hmm. It also spoke to the little girl, too, just the faithfulness of how we are because this 11-year-old girl who'd had a heart transplant gave her life to the Lord. Um, And my daughter had the privilege of leading her to Christ. But um, it was just a really neat thing to have this parable (laughs) turn into so much more, and it, you know, ministered to a lot of hearts. Right. The words of God have second chances, and he uses those of us who are that's not even aware. <laughs> right. Very true. Yes. Remember when I first met you, I was talking to you about um, doing trips, um, trying to go to Mexico to help build yeah. homes and stuff, but I couldn't do it because the job I was doing wouldn't allow me to travel to foreign countries. Right. Well, um, late last year, I had to um, get some medical help and stuff, so um, shortly after that, I got laid off and then had to quit getting help because I had no money, no health insurance and stuff. So I've come to realize the last five months that being in denial is not going to allow God to help you. And sometimes everybody asks God, hey, help me. I have this problem. Help me. Sometimes you can't help you if you don't help yourself. And being in denial for five, almost six months, delaying the inevitable doesn't really help. So sometimes you can't just keep asking God, hey, help me. Sometimes you got to realize that you need to make some changes and help yourself in order for God to help you. The longer you're in denial, the worse it gets, and the further away the healing gets. So, uh, realizing that I do have some problems, um, figured out some ways that I got to make some changes and going to get the help that I need. No longer being in denial, because these medical things on top of the past, and I'm still trying to get healing over. Just kind of makes me want to hide underneath the rock. So one way that God has also spoken to me, not just get rid of the being in denial and all, but get rid of some of the distractions like TV and all the movies and being, you know, I guess being distracted by all the things, technology and stuff. So maybe instead of watching the tube all the time, put my face in a book once in a while. And actually teach me something. This would be a good book too. <laughs> Amen. So those are two things. Let me finish up by just reading from John 14. (coughs) Sorry, 15. John 15. This is when Jesus is talking to his disciples before going to the cross. You know, he's really downloading just so much. Of what, of what really the essence of everything his ministry has been about for the last three years. He's summarizing in these, in these chapters, 14, 15, 16. And he says in chapter 15, verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, 
and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Now look at verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. By this is God glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So, yeah, I mean, this is... If there's anything just to leave us with is, is this truth that biblical meditation is the, is one of the ways that we abide in the vine. That we were so connected with Jesus that His life and His love and His message flows through us right, and out of our lives. And that's really what it's about. How do we... What does this mean to abide in Christ? Abide in Christ. Well, this is part of it, is drawing so close to Him that we can hear His voice, He can speak to us, and He can work through us to do what He wants to do you know, to people around us. So it's, it's, it's for us. It's for our benefit, obviously, to be able to hear God. But ultimately, it's for others. It's for the glory of God, and it's for our impact on others' lives. Right? So well, let's pray, and then you guys can head on out, stick around and visit if you want for a bit, or if you need to go, go. But thank you all so much for coming today. I know you can do other things with your Saturday than uh, sit for several hours all in one little room here. Thank you very much for being a part of this today. And it's been a blessing to me to hear your, your testimonies and stories too. So, uh, thank you. Awesome. Yeah. Thank well, let's you. pray. Lord, thank you for being our Father. Thank you that you desire that personal one-on-one relationship with us. And thank you that you will speak to us as we listen to you. I pray for each of us in this room that we'll grow in this discipline of of hearing your voice, of knowing what you're telling us and, and worshiping you and then obeying. Lord, I ask that uh, each of us would uh, glorify you with our transformed lives. pray this in Jesus' name.